You're unmuted. The meeting will come to order. This is the April 27th special meeting of the Youth, Young Adults, and Families Committee, and is also the closing meeting of this committee. So it's a very special day for many, many reasons. I'm Supervisor Hilary Ronan, Chair of the Youth, Young Adults, and Families Committee. I'm joined by Supervisor Miriam Algar, who is substituting for member Supervisor Joel Engardio, and was actually a founding member of this committee with me, so it's very fitting that we're closing it together as well. And uh, we will be joined by Vice Chair Supervisor Asha Safai shortly. And here he is, <laughs> making his grand late entrance as usual. <laughs> um, today's meeting is also extremely special because we are joined, and I think it might be, um, according to Commissioner Barker Plummer, only the second time that the Board of Supervisors have officially joined in a joint meeting with the Youth Commission. So I feel very uh, excited and honored to, to be at the second, the second historic gathering. Um, and I want to welcome this joint session with the San Francisco Youth Commission's Civic Engagement and Education Committee and would like to introduce the five members from that committee, all of whom are present with us today. Uh, we have the committee co-chairs, Maureen Loftus and Stephen Hum as the committee co-chairs. And then we have members Vanessa Pimental, Astrid Utting, is that correct, pronouncing it? Okay, great, and um, Ewan Baker Plummer. So thank you so much for being here and welcome Youth Commissioners to the Board Chamber. Finally, I would like to welcome San Francisco Board of Education President Kevin Bogus. Is he here yet? Is he here? Oh, there you are. I, we were going to sit you in that box, but feel free to stay there if you want to stay there. Um, okay, yeah. And <laughs> actually, Commissioner um, Matthews, I mean, all the mats and all the commissioners, why don't you go ahead and sit in the, in the box over there so that you have microphones and can chime in whenever you would like to. Um, so we are joined by Matt Alexander and Commissioner President Kevin Bogus today from the San Francisco Board of Education. Our clerk is John Carroll, and I would like to thank Matthew Ignao from SFGovTV for broadcasting this meeting. And before we begin, Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential, and we will be taking public comment today as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each of the two items on today's agenda. Those attending in person here in room 250, the board chamber, will be allowed to speak first, and then we will take public comment from those who are waiting on the telephone. People who want to uh, participate remotely may do so by dialing 415-655-0001. The meeting ID for today's meeting is 2592-131-6913. Press the pound symbol twice, and then dial star followed by three to add your name to the queue, and then we'll hear from you as well when we get to public comment. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, again, we'll hear from folks who are here in person first and then those who are connected remotely. And alternatively, you may submit your public comment in writing in 
either of the following ways. You may email them to myself, the young, Youth, Young, Adult, and Families Committee Clerk. My name is John Carroll. My email address is j-o-h-n period c-a-r-r-o-l-l at sfgov.org. Or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's the clerk's office, 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit your public comment in writing, I will forward your comments to the members of the Youth, Young, Adult, and Families Committee, uh, and we will also retain copies on our official files that pertain to today's matters. Uh, just one more bit of clerking ephemera. If I can pass the mic real quick to Joy John, who is the clerk for the Youth Commission's Civic Engagement and Education Committee, and she will take the role for the youth commissioners present. Thank you, Clerk Carroll. On the call of the roll, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Present. Barker Plummer present. Commissioner Pimentel. Present. Pimentel present. Commissioner Utting. Present. Utting present. Chair Hum. Present. Hum present. Chair Loftus. Present. Loftus present. With five present, the Youth Commission Civic Engagement and Education Committee quorum is met. And Madam Chair, that concludes our announcements. Thank you so much. And Mr. Clerk, before we begin, um, I'd like to make a motion to excuse Supervisor Engardio. A motion has been offered by Chair Ronan to excuse Supervisor Engardio from today's proceedings on that motion. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition. That motion passes unanimously. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number one? Agenda item number one is a hearing on the Proposition G Student Success Fund Implementation Plan, application procedures, selection criteria, and the information as well as outreach plan that will be conducted to inform schools in the process and encourage application for these funds. Thank you. Um, colleagues, I am really excited to be holding our first hearing on Proposition G, the Student Success Fund um, and its implementation plan. I'm especially excited to be holding this hearing with supervisors Safai and Melgar because we were the three supervisor team uh, that were at the leadership of putting this on the ballot and getting this really important item passed. So it's just really an honor to be sitting with the, the two of you and, and being at the happy phase of seeing how uh, this exciting uh, initiative is going to be implemented. As we all remember, the voters of San Francisco overwhelmingly voted to support Prop G, which will provide much needed funding directly to San Francisco public schools to support the academic achievement and social emotional wellness of students. This was a landmark measure that is an example of city and school district partnership with the well-being of children at its center. We are eager to hear from the Department of Children, Youth, and their families and the San Francisco Unified School District on how these funds will be allocated according to the fund's goals in its first year of implementation and beyond. My office has been getting a lot of questions from supervisors, school administrators, and community members eager to hear how the Student Success Fund will be rolled out. We know that DCYF and SFUF SFUSD have been working jointly together to devise the plan in preparation for the coming school year, and today we are about to hear the details. 
We have asked each of uh, the, the agencies to present on the implementation steps, application procedures, selection criteria, and information outreach that will be conducted to inform SFUSD schools on the process and encourage applications for these funds. Um, before we invite Dr. Maria Sue, Director of DCYF, to join us for the first presentation, I also want to recognize um, uh, that both President Kevin Bogus, who actually the original idea for Proposition G originated from, and uh, Commissioner Alexander, Alexander, who was our school board champion to get this measure passed, um, are also here today. So I, I think it's not an accident uh, that uh, the leaders of, of this campaign, the originator of the idea, are, are in the room. So I just I want to thank you for being there from day one, from A, having the idea, B, being so excited about the idea, and just working with us hand in hand to make this happen. It's just, it's, it's really, really exciting to be here with you. So thank you. Um, and without further ado, we'll hand it over first to uh, Dr. Sue, who's uh, joining us remotely, and then her presentation will be followed by Dr. Matt Wayne, the superintendent of SFUSD, who is with us here today in person. Maria, are you with? Can you can you hear us? There you are. I am. I am so sorry that I'm remote. Um, so, Victor, can you bring up the slides, please? Just a moment while uh, we bring them up. Perfect. Um, so. As that is coming up, I just want to say good afternoon, everyone. Chair Ronan, Supervisor Melgar, and Safai, um, and Board of Education President Kevin Bogus and Commissioner Alexander. Um, my name is Maria Sue. I am the Director for the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families. I am super excited to be here today, and. Um, just so happy that we are finally at this moment where we can share with you um, the early initial plans. Um, actually, next slide, please. So thank you for the opportunity to share with you our initial plans for the Student Success Fund. Um, before I start, I want to I want to once again apologize that Sharice Dorsey-Smith and I are unable to be there in person with you today. Um, in fact, Sharice and I just finished giving a very dynamic and engaging presentation at a youth development conference in Palm Springs, um, talking about best practices uh, for partnership and coordination in order to achieve sustained and desirable outcomes for our children, youth, and families. So uh, we are literally taking the secret sauce of San Francisco and hopefully sharing it with the rest of our colleagues, um, both uh, across the city uh, and other cities and in other states. Uh, there were many um, leaders from other states in the room. Um, so if it was not for that particular speaking engagement, uh, we would definitely be in chamber with you today. Um, however, I am very honored that I will be tag teaming with Dr. Matt Wayne um, from uh, our school district superintendent and his very fantastic team um, of uh, directors. Um, so starting with Melly Lau-Smith, um, I believe Joya Balk and Jason Hanan might be in the chamber right now, um, along with Hong Mei. Um, I just want to say that we have been through a lot as a city over the last three years. 
um, and we have made remarkable progress navigating the pandemic and the city's response to it. We learned that when we work together as a city, as a school district, and as community leaders, we are able to do the impossible. Um, quoting from one of my favorite Board of Supervisor members, we really demonstrated the can-do attitude in San Francisco. And once again, I find it very fitting um, that the Student Success Fund is heard today in the closing um, meeting of the Youth, Young Adult, and Families Committee. Um, the committee was created to bring greater clarity, alignment, and partnership between SFUSD and the city. And I truly believe that the Student Success Fund is a symbol of the progress we have made, and quite frankly, the hope for the future ahead. Next slide, please. So the journey <laughs> to the Student Success Fund was a long road that involved weaving together various existing initiatives, such as DCYF's Beacon Center initiative, um, as well as our middle and high school wellness centers. Um, our collective commitment as a city and school district to partner and work together um, DCYF's demonstrated experience as a funder, and especially, and actually particularly, drawing from the findings of um, the SF RISE report, which Supervisor Ronan commissioned, um, which provided a rigorous process that we used to engage our community, engage our parents, um, teachers, school administrators, and other leaders during the pandemic to seek their feedback and insight into how we can um, support our, our children and families to succeed and thrive. Um, and that really came together to create uh, what we now call the Student Success Fund, but what was uh, called Prop G. Next slide, please. Um, as I mentioned, Supervisor Ronan and Supervisor Malgar created the Student and Families Rise, the SF Rise work group, uh, which was tasked to create this implementation plan um, to figure out what types of programs and services were needed uh, to support our school district children and families that were particularly inverse, adversely affected by the pandemic, but in general, just helping young people succeed, helping young people um, really thrive and participate in the wealth and uh, prosperity of our city. And through this process, in, in all of those hundreds of conversations that we had with um, key leaders and um, key constituents throughout our city, we heard loud and clear three key things, three core things. First was system alignment and capacity development. We heard over and over again that we needed to foster better partnerships and collaboration between school site and CBOs and school administrators. We heard that we needed to achieve more integration and alignment um, around our, our policies and how we do business in the city, how we support our CBOs and our teachers not whether one or the other. Um, it was really trying to figure out how do we share resources and cross-train our people? Because at the end of the day, we're talking about our community serving 
our children. We also heard loud and clear about the need to support academic growth. We needed to figure out ways to provide targeted interventions for students um, that were both in school site and in um, offsite. Uh, we needed to figure out ways to provide more intensive one-on-one -on -one supports for young people who needed it, and then also support teachers to have uh, more tools so that they can then provide supports to students. We also needed to make sure that we hire more, um, hire more CBO staff, hire more support staff, hire more mental health staff, um, because we didn't have enough caring adults um, that were wrapping our, our um, the city bear hug around these children. We, we also needed to really think about how we integrate the after school academic supports and social emotional supports throughout the school day and into the after school hours. And then finally, another key area we heard was really focusing in on the social and emotional health and wellness of students and staff. We needed to figure out a way to retain and increase supports for staff so that they can then focus on serving our children and that they can then focus on um, supporting themselves and their own wellness so that they can support our students. Um, those were the key areas that we leaned into as we thought about how do we build out a student success fund that met those, those core needs that we found through the SFRISE report. Next slide, please. And so I'm really excited that we have this funding opportunity to partner with the school district in supporting the whole child in really thinking about how do we align the DCYF goals of, um, of, of well-being and social emotional supports for young people with our school district goals of not only of, of academic supports. Um, and over the last several months, the DCYF team and our school district partner teams have worked together to really think about that alignment, to really um, honor what our community asked us to do, which is to work closer together, to make it easier for our students and families to access programs and services, and to make it fast so that it's not something that they ask for, a need that was asked for, and then we had to we have to wait for a long time. So over the last several months, the superintendent and I have been in deep conversations about how do we make this happen? And I'm so excited that um, we do have a plan and we will have a plan moving forward on how we would implement um, the, first, the first rollout of these dollars. Um, and with that, I'm going to hand over the mic to Dr. Wayne to share how the district's um, interim, um, the, his interim uh, goals and guardrails will support this vision and this, this new partnership. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sue, uh, and th good afternoon, everyone. I'm very pleased to be here to speak about the Student Success Fund. And I appreciate Dr. Sue recapping the genesis of this and the conversations that have been happening in the city for the last couple years. Uh, I am close to finishing my first year as superintendent, and I actually think back to when I was announced as the incoming superintendent. That was on May 12th 
uh, and was very excited to be joining uh, the school district and becoming a part of the San Francisco community. Then I think on May 13th, the commissioner said, by the way, we know you start on July 1st, but you need to start talking to Supervisor Ronan and, and other city leaders about the Student Success Fund that is being developed. And uh, so was you know, eager to jump into the conversation and started learning about um, the work that Dr. Sue just uh, referenced and the efforts by the city to support our students and families working in partnership with the school district. And that was incredibly inspiring to see how the community was wanting to come together to work for our youth and recognize that it needs to be done collaboratively rather than in silos or each group working on its own plan. Uh, so I was pleased to have those conversations and those conversations were occurring at the same time that the Board of Education was making a commitment to focus on student outcomes and uh, to recognize that we as a school system exist to improve student outcomes and that then we need to look at our adult behaviors on how we're going to change how we do business to improve student learning. And so that helped drive even some of the development of the Student Success Fund. And I appreciate the work done in drafting the resolution so that, uh, the proposition, so that it emphasized that the reason for this fund is to improve student outcomes. And that that language was incorporated to help drive the planning. Um, and so if you go to the uh, next slide, and the slide after. Um, so as the, uh, actually as we were um, promoting the Student Success Fund, the board was engaged in deep work with the community to identify uh, the goals for student learning. These are based on the vision we have uh, for our students and the values that Oh, I guess there's a... <laughs> All right. Uh, so that was based on um, the, the vision that we heard from the community and the values that we have as a district. And our commissioners met with hundreds of community members, got over a thousand pieces of feedback to help inform uh, our goals, and then identified three long-term goals around student learning. And you see them up here. It's uh, increasing the number of students who are achieving third grade literacy, uh, achieving eighth grade math, and then graduating college and career ready. And in and of itself, there's nothing revolutionary about these goals, right? It's what school systems should be doing. But what I appreciate about the work that we've done is it brings a focus uh, that has been needed in the district so that our resources are aligned to supporting those goals. <clears throat> and then if you go to the next slide, when thinking about how we're going to work towards those goals, we have what we call our guardrails. These are non-negotiables that must be honored while implementing the goals. So you heard the goals are framed in terms of student outcomes, what students know and are able to do. But we recognize that in order to meet those goals, there were some foundational pieces that need to be in place. And you see that uh, on the screen. Effective decision-making, um, focus on curriculum and instruction, and resource allocation, and two guardrails we have that I want to highlight. Um, so first is about serving the whole child. So again, we're an education system focused on student outcomes. But to achieve those outcomes, we recognize that we need to support students both inside the classroom and beyond. 
Uh, and we're facing a lot of challenges. Our students are facing a lot of challenges and need support around their mental health or around uh, chronic absenteeism, making sure we're helping them show up in, in school, around making sure that the school environment is safe and secure. And so that's a guardrail that we're working on in service of our goals for student learning. The other guardrail that's important and a value we have as a district is recognizing that we're not going to reach these goals alone, that we need to work in partnership with the city of San Francisco, with the Department of Children, Youth, and Family, and with other agencies in order to work towards these goals. And uh, so these goals and guardrails really have helped shape the conversations that we've been having between the district and DCYF to develop a plan for the Student Success Fund. Uh, these are really the North Star that then the Student Success Fund uh, plan will help us uh, work towards in our schools and as a district as a whole and really as a, a city coming together at, uh, in this effort. So with that, if you go to the next slide, uh, I know people are eager to hear the, uh, some more details about how is the Student Success Fund then going to roll out and be implemented. So I think, if you go to the next slide. Next slide, next slide. I wanna make sure I'm introducing the correct person next that we're on that slide. Victor, could you jump us to the next slide, please? Thank you. There we go. Um, we have uh, two members of our planning team, one from uh, the district and one from DCYF. We're going to first start with our head of student and family services, Melly Lau-Smith. Hello, good afternoon. Um, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. It's nice to be here uh, with the youth commissioners and with the members of the Board of Supervisors. I have one more slide for context and then Sharice and I will dig in a little bit on the details that I think everybody is really excited to hear about. Uh, I did want to start with, it was interesting, I was reflecting today, I think I, I am from San Francisco, I grew up here, I went to San Francisco schools, my kids went to San Francisco schools, and now I'm in the school district, and I think collectively I'm getting close to 50 years, so it seems like this is a great and exciting time for new, new visioning and this new fund, so really appreciative of the moment. Uh, as Supervisor Ronan mentioned, the Student Success Fund was created to provide additional resources to the district to accomplish the grade level success in core academic subjects, what uh, Dr. Wayne just talked about. I think one, in the fund, it sort of talks about that one model to achieve the purpose of this fund is the community school framework that's been implemented across the country for many years. I think the beauty of the community schools framework is it's really grounded in the belief that school communities are best situated to determine with the districts, within the district's instructional and community schools framework, the direct interventions and programming that's necessary to help all students achieve. So it's very popular education-based model. But one of the challenges that we have had, and we've been trying to do this work for many years, is that it's really difficult to sustain those direct interventions and programming because of the complex funding landscape, which generally oftentimes includes state and federal funding streams that are restrictive in nature and generally have limited eligibility criteria, timelines, and amounts. And so oftentimes what you end up getting is these eligibility criteria is based on what in public health we would call a deficit-based funding model in which we're describing communities in the negative terms instead of really focusing on the amazing assets that we community members and school members have to identify what is it that we can do in our community 
to improve everything for everyone. And so when you have a deficit-based funding model, it means that when the school community achieves that success that we all want for all of our, the each and every, the funding ends, which is inequitable for the students who aren't the ones who came when the funding was there. So the Student Success Fund is designed really to address, I think you spoke about this, Supervisor Ronan, the long-standing inequitable funding model that we're moving into. So with the sustained funding, we really want to support site readiness to implement this model. We want to leverage these funds to create a workforce pipeline because we cannot do this work unless we have the folks to do the work. And so that's what Sharice and I will talk a little bit more, how we're going, the vision to leverage these funds to do those things. Uh, you can go to the next slide. I think we, you know, next slide. <laughs> yeah, so I think we've talked a lot about what it is. Uh, it, it was passed by the voters. Thank you, voters of San Francisco. And we now have this as part of our city charter. And I'll turn it over to Sharice uh, to talk about what it is and isn't. And then I'll be back to talk a little bit about some year one priorities. Thank you, Melly. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I do wish I was in the chambers with everyone to feel the energy around this, but alas, I'm here presenting um, via Teams. So, but now to get into the nitty gritty of what I'm pretty sure everyone is waiting to hear about. What can the funds be used for? What can't they be used for? What does the growth look like? Who's eligible um, and what's the timeline? So next slide, please. So what can the, the funds be used for? People, programs, and partnerships. Both uh, Dr. Sue, Superintendent Wayne, and Melly have talked about the importance of the people to make this happen, the school sites, the principals, the CBOs, the city, the school district, the programs in which um, we need to implement and the partnerships. So the Student Success Fund will ultimately provide grants to individual schools to, um, to basically improve the student academic achievement and the social emotional wellness. We've seen what it's been like over decades now with students um, and the struggles that schools have been having in um, ensuring that our children and youth are thriving in the city. And we're really looking at how we can leverage and bolster what resources we currently have with and with these news funds. And like Nelly said, to create a sustainable um, program and sustainable funding for, for schools to be able to continue to do this work. Um, in order to achieve the purpose, um, these funds will use a community school framework, which basically is, has been implemented across the country. Um, and it really has a proven track record with outcomes and academic achievement and student success. This framework, like I said, will bolster current resources that are available in the school, new resources that are coming in that include academic supports, that includes interventions, that includes strategies and um, to address poverty and trauma or to support families to um, have secure state of, uh, excuse me, stability. All these elements the funds can support. It supports the people who need these services. It, it supports the programs who will be delivering the services and it reinforces the partnerships that are gonna be able to make this happen. Next slide. Now what can't the funds, what can't the funds be used for? So basically, you can use the fund for just about any and everything, which is the goal of it, but what it cannot be used for is we are not trying to supplant anything that is currently in place. So for example, core staffing, um, 
that the district has, it cannot be used to support that. And this is something that the school district is still developing and calling out exactly what their core staffing model looks like. But what's, once again, what we want to use these funds for is to leverage what's already there to be able to address the needs, the gaps, and what's needed in order to um, allow our children to be successful. Next slide. Now, who is eligible to apply? I've been getting this question for many, many months now. On the sneak tip, people asking me, hey, can you let me know now? I don't necessarily want to wait, but I'm like, no, we want to unveil this all at once. So who is eligible to apply? Schools who meet the following criteria will be eligible to apply for the Student Success Fund grants. So you need to have an engaged school site council. And these are, what I'm about to go over is pulled directly from the legislative text, the legal text, what we put out there, what folks voted on, what we agreed to. So you need to have an engaged school site council. Um, you need to have either a full-time community school coordinator or plan to hire a full-time community school coordinator who will serve in a leadership role working alongside um, the school's principal in implementing the grant to making sure that the programs um, are integrated and enhancing the academic programs and the social emotional supports um, or whatever's happening in the school that they have identified. Um, as well as eligible schools must have a commitment to coordinate. Over the years, coordination is key. You can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. You need to coordinate. We need to align in order to really meet the needs um, of our students. It can't be siloed. You, no one can do it by themselves. So coordination and a commitment to coordinate is um, what is called for. So very simple, three very easy eligibility requirements um, that we feel folks can um, be able to meet. Next slide, please. Now, another question I've been getting is around how can CBOs um, be able to support um, with the Student Success Fund? How do they get access? So can we all know community-based partners are key in supporting the whole child in our schools? S schools will lead this process. Schools will be, school sites will be the ones to conduct the needs assessment and the asset mapping that needs to happen at each school site. Once again, to identify what's already in place, what do we have, what are the gaps, what's needed in order to meet the goals that we've established. Um, and who can be the partners to help us in which to meet those goals, which CBOs could be potential partners to help um, meet those goals. Schools will reach out to CBOs, and CBOs can also reach out to schools to talk about how can we partner, what does this look like, what, do the, what are your goals. They should plan to participate or be a part of, if needed, the school site team in which to really understand what are the needs of the school site, what are the needs of the families, what's the needs of the community, um, in order to figure out how they can best support that work. So schools will reach out to CBOs and they can begin to plan the partnership. Schools, all, the school sites will be the ones who will be submitting the grant proposal. So it's not the CBOs, it's the school sites who will lay out, these are our goals. This is what it's gonna, what we believe is gonna take to achieve those goals. And these are the partners that we want to work with. Next slide. 
So the timeline for the student success fund and funding allocation growth, I think, you know, folks might have thought the 60 million will be here tomorrow, July 1st. No, that's not exactly how it's how it works out. So the first year to um, fiscal year 23-24, there will be $11 million available. Um, for funding for the student success fund. Then it increases. The next, the following year, it'll be 35 million. The year after that, 45. And then the final year, 60 million. So it's incremental. You know, so we also have to think about what is the best way to roll this out to make the best use of these funds and to leverage them um, to their fullest potential. 60 million isn't available, like I said, right at the get-go. It's only 11 million. Next slide. administer and manage um, and monitor these funds. So we plan on engaging a collaborative governance body um, who will be created to provide the advisory oversight um, and the accountability to the fund. That's still in process. We haven't identified who will be on that governance body as of yet, but we recognize that there needs to be um, a body in place to provide the accountability to make sure to do those checks and balances. Are we sticking true to what these funds um, were designed to accomplish? The operational, administrative, and management monitoring and awarding of these funds, so the student success grants, the technical assistance grants, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, will be managed by both DCYF and um, SFUSD. Next slide. When can schools actually apply for funding? So uh, it's critical that we have a very collaborative planning process. And I know folks are ready and they were like, let's go, but we need to make sure we have a cohesive vision for these funds so we can ensure transparency, be able to tell everyone this is exactly what it is and what it's not, to have accountability and fidelity to the legislation. So what we're planning is um, we will release a request for funding proposals in November, December of 2023 for the 24 to 25 school year. So that's the second year, the 35 million. That's when the RF, when we're going to do an RFP for the 35 million. In a minute, um, Melly will actually talk about what we're going to do with the 11 um, million. The thought grants will then be awarded around April of 2024, so they could be available for the 24-25 school year. We need some time, like I said, to develop a thorough process and to be able to support the school sites in applying. There's a lot of work that the schools are doing. And I know there's been a lot of thought already as to how they would use these funds, what this would look like, but we really wanna make sure folks are successful in this process and um, are able to achieve what they plan. Next slide. So how this looks, the rollout, the timeline. So. For the 22-23, which we're currently in right now, this is where a lot of the planning is happening. This is where the meetings that Superintendent Wayne talked about, we're meeting with SFUSD and DCYF, have been meeting oh, for the last several months to really plan and be very strategic about how this should be rolled out. So we've been working with the consultant to develop the implementation, the governance, the operational plans, how leveraging the existing resources, the staff time, that's what it's looked like in this fiscal year. 
going into next fiscal year, 23, um, 24, when there's $11 million, we have a thought there's four components um, that we are looking into and Melly will go into each one right after this. So I'm just gonna list them real quick. Um, rapid response. This is being able to respond very quickly to things that are happening right now in school sites. That is a, a pot of money that'll be available next fiscal year. And there'll be a process, not a RFP, but a very quick um, um, process to identify this is what the what the um, emergency is. This is what we plan to use the funds for, and this is how much. Focus on critical staffing. Um, I'll have Melly talk about that. School readiness, getting them prepared to actually apply for these funds and the workforce pipeline that Melly mentioned um, previously. Year three or year two of the three years is the 35 million. That's when the RFP will be released. You will also still have access and be able to um, apply for funding under rapid response, under school readiness, under the workforce pipeline, but that's when the first full cohort of um, grantees will roll out their, their plan for the student success funds. And then the following year, 45 million, same process. Next slide. And I think this is where I'm gonna pass it back over to Melly to go more in depth of what rapid response looks like, what school readiness looks like, what critical staffing in the workforce pipeline looks like and entails. Thank you, Charisse. Um, I think you can go to the next slide. Thank you. So as we gear up for the request for proposal process that Sharice described for the year two and beyond, we will, we, the year one funds have been prioritized into four areas, as Sharice mentioned. Um, this includes a rapid response fund, which is designed to address immediate critical needs. For example, a school could apply for funding for trauma-informed counselors to work with students due to an increase in violence. Um, these funds will be available all year round, and they'll be limited to $25,000 per school. Annette, you can go to the next slide, please. Thank you. Um, another pri priority focus is school readiness, because we really want schools to have the ability to be ready to apply for the grants when the money comes through. So a school could apply for school readiness funds to hire a community school coordinator to start providing that essential staffing um, in order to complete the grant application and be ready for implementation. Go to the next slide, please. Another area is what we're calling the critical staffing area, and these funds could support non-core positions that school sites have identified already for next year as something that they would really need to support the school's implementation of the goals and guardrails that Dr. Wayne described. And for one example is a school could increase a paraprofessional position or a social worker position or a counselor position from half-time to full-time. So these would be available as well for schools. And finally, last slide or next slide, because there's one after this. Yeah, thanks. Um, and finally, one of the things that we've really been talking about is sustainability and long-term solutions. So what we want to use is to leverage these funds to develop sustainable pipelines to address our staffing shortages in the key areas of the community schools model, expanded learning and behavioral health and wellness. So that's looking at, looking at our educator pathway and expanding it to social school social workers, school district nurses. Um, we also want to look at 
expanding our youth intern work through a youth worker institute, which would prepare SFUSD graduates for jobs in SFUSD. Like, again, kind of looking at the first source hiring concept to really think about how do we move people in, into jobs in SFUSD to serve communities. Go to the next slide, please. So the way we are working on the process on how to apply to these funds, and we know we're working as quickly as possible. We don't want to overpromise. Uh, so we should have that process ready by July 31st, 2023. And there will be a website that will be launching, I believe, maybe middle, early to middle June, that will have more details. Uh, so we're getting ready for the year one, fund, uh, year one funding process. And I think... That is the last slide, but I'm not sure. Can you go to the next slide? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, this is so exciting. <laughs> um, the pres okay, great, the presentation is finished. Um, so before I turn over for questions from my colleagues and the youth commissioners, I wanted to give uh, President Bogus, an opportunity if he had any comments, and also wanted to welcome Commissioner Alita Fisher to the boardroom. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I guess first, just thank you to the supervisors for your efforts in kind of making this this happen, um, kind of from the beginning, and really helping to push and showing the city's true commitment to supporting public education and young people um, in the city. Um, I think like it's just an exciting time to think about more funds coming to the school district in the time when the state is actually saying there's going to be less funding available, um, even though there's a greater need right now. Um, I think one thing that's really present of mind of me in this moment um, is the crisis that our young people are going through right now. Um, and just kind of the lack of response that we've seen from the adults in positions of power and just so much excitement about the efforts that we're taking and the things we can do in addition to this to really support young people and to kind of give them options and to really be proactive um, in the way that we're supporting them and providing youth-centered and youth-led alternatives um, that really reflect the things that they want to see happening in their schools, in their communities. Um, I think one thing also for me... I think I would speak for the board when I said I think we're looking forward to community schools being the future of our school district and really reflecting the way that we want to see our district work with the city and families and communities. I think of us and the bond that we're going to be going out for and how we need to think about how we redesign our schools and improve them. We're doing it in a way that doesn't just improve the school community, but the neighborhood that that school is in, really being an asset to the people who live around our schools. And so just a lot of appreciation to the folks at the Board of Supervisors and City Hall and also to district staff, as well as for the unions and UESF and their leadership in this as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, um, President Bogus. Um, and I also just wanted uh, to recognize Leslie Hu from UESF, who uh, was a major leader in the Prop G campaign. So thank you for helping us make this a reality. I just wanted to call you out for a sec. Um, so colleagues, commissioners, uh, questions, concerns, statements, who wants to start? Supervisor Melker? 
Thank you so much, Chair Ronan. So I uh, was sitting here uh, chatting with my <laughs> the chair of the committee because I'm so incredibly proud uh, to be in this moment. Uh, not just that we achieved it and convinced a great majority of the voters of San Francisco that this was the right thing to do, but that both uh, DCYF and the school district were ready uh, to uh, you know, go forward with this uh, chunk of money because you had the systems, you had the supports, you had the model, you had the, you know, everything. So the evaluation protocols, all these things already, you know, figured out because the model had been used for a while and had been invested into as much as you could. And now we're infusing it and helping you do it. And so, uh, and I'm also uh, really uh, proud and uh, happy to have our uh, school board members here who all were so supportive and engaged and involved in this. Uh, so that partnership is is really important um, and the youth commissioners who uh, you know always believed that we could do it better um, and that you know there was a way for all the adults to work together to uh, make it better for you so thank you so much um, I did have uh, some questions um, and uh, you know for uh, mostly I guess Cherise if, if uh, you're still on Cherise and I uh, thank you for your presentation uh, it was uh, thorough and um, you know on point uh, one of the things that uh, I have had, had I've worried about um, as I was uh, a, a staff person in a youth development agency before <laughs> I became uh, a supervisor um, is that we were uh, struggling with staff uh, already. Uh, I mean, everybody is, but particular for youth development workers, it's a struggle. We tend to draw from the communities that we serve. Um, and they're not, you know, very high paying jobs, but they're very rewarding jobs uh, that often lead to a pathway in uh, higher education uh, in K through 12 and, and beyond. And so, um, it, and it's, it can be like really great. And we've always had a really great partnership uh, with the SFUSD to, to build out that pipeline through City College at San Francisco State. But, you know, in, in um, expanding the community school model, we're going to have to hire a lot more people. And what what I didn't hear in the presentation was a specific plan for that or making resources available for that capacity building and that, you know, hiring um, of staff. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes, I think both myself and Millie will be able to address that. Um, oh, there's a slight delay. <laughs> you can keep going. We, we, we can hear you perfectly. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is something that we've given thought to. So um, even talking about this workforce pipeline, how do we create the, the people to be able to do this work? Um, we're still in the process of figuring out and bringing back the youth institute that we um, implemented or we used to have several years ago that has a pipeline of taking some of our, our youth that are at SFUSD schools, looking at our um, juniors and our seniors as they go on to post-secondary or not, and how can we funnel them into programs, into the schools to um, be able to work and, and provide services and support. So we're talking through that right now, like how does that look? How can we um, create that opportunity? There's a lot that's happening, you know, currently with the dual enrollment programs that we have and, and um, the work that we're doing um, with our CBOs right now, where they're getting um, young people, seniors, first year college is getting introduced into 
say, a youth worker or um, wanting to be a teacher working at school sites. So we're talking about how to create that because you're right, that is a gap. And that's that's everyone is struggling. The school district is struggling to hire staff. CBOs are struggling to hire staff. Everyone is struggling to hire. And the goal of even this first year with the 11 million is to start to create that pipeline. So um, hopefully by year three, and I'm being very concerned by year three, we'll start to see some, see the, the, not even year three, I want to say year two, see the, um, see that come to fruition of, of the pipeline has been developed, including with our social workers, our paraprofessionals wanting to create that. Um, so we will have, there will be a pool in which to draw from, which we don't have a pool right now. Thank you, Ms. Dorsey. Ms. Lowe-Smith, did you have anything to add? Not much more. I think um, Cherise said it really well, but we're really invested in creating an infrastructure that doesn't go away, so it's a continual. And I think Jamestown may have been part of our Youth Worker yeah. Institute, we which were. really worked well, so we want to draw on what we learned before and expand it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to use my chair privilege to go back and forth between the youth commissioners and the, and the supervisors. So, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Uh, thank you, Chair Ronan, uh, and thank you to all the presenters for being here today. Um, my first question is, uh, I want to know what percentage of funds are planned to address and ensure math and reading success uh, for students in the school district? Appreciate honing in on student outcomes. So at this point, it's not... Uh, uh, you hear we're in the process of planning how to distribute the funds, and they're going to be based on uh, school needs. But why I led with what our goals are for student learning is schools, um, you heard uh, say that there needs to be an engaged school site council. So the school site council is a group of parents and staff who their main job is to develop the school plan. We call it the single plan for student achievement. And we are now aligning that plan to our goals for student learning, and that's the plan really that should drive any application to access the Student Success Fund. And so it's not going to be uh, necessarily because it's school-driven that we say 30% is going to go to math, but we are putting in place the structure to ensure that the plans are clearly, to, uh, that when they're applying for the funds, are clearly tied to those outcomes that we have as a district. Thank you. And then I just wanted to ask one final uh, question. I know I've sort of heard different things around how the deficit, uh, possible deficit um, that the city is facing will affect Prop G funding. So I'm wondering if we could get a clear answer on that. Does it affect, does the current economic state of um, the SF government affect the potential amount of funding for Prop G or has that not changed? I think... Uh, as the author of Prop G, I could probably best answer that question. Um, so the way that we wrote the ordinance is, and, and Supervisor Safai helped us uh, come to this agreement uh, with, with the unions, as did uh, Leslie Hugh from UASF. Um, there, there is guaranteed funding no matter what the situation is with the city's budget um, for $40 million a year. And that you know, when that kicks in to that, to, you know, to 45, right? So in the third year. So the 11 million is guaranteed, the 25 million is guaranteed, or the 35 million is guaranteed. And then in that third year, if we have over a $200 million deficit, 
um, then the Board of Supervisors has the power to lower mm -hmm. the, the amount that goes into this fund um, up to $40 million. You know, they, they have to give, is it 40 or 30? 30. It's 30, sorry. Uh, are you sure we didn't raise it? <laughs> I think, I think, it's Leslie's saying thirty-five. We might 35. have come. It was we can. I'll look at the law. Yeah. But it's there. There's a, you can. We can never go below. It's anywhere from thirty to forty. We can never go below that amount. But if we have a, a deficit, the board of supervisors could lower it for one. You know, one year um, to that 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 amount. Um, also, if we um, if we do have a, a major deficit, that that obligated amount that we have to put into the student success fund uh, can and should come from city reserves for bad fiscal times. So the bottom line is there will never be in the next 15 years <laughs> a time where at least that base amount, which off, it's 35, that base amount of 35 won't be given to the fund. Yeah. Um, hopefully we'll have good times or the board of supervisors will decide that this is still a priority even given a deficit and give that full 60 uh, amount. So it'll be upon, you know, uh, incumbent upon the supervisors and the communities that elect them, you know, to, to advocate and, and decide what to do if we're, we're facing a bad budget year. Thank you, I appreciate that clarification. Sure. Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Um, really appreciate the presentation from Director Sue and and her team, and thank you, Superintendent Wayne and others for being here. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan, for putting this uh, out there today because there have been a lot of questions, a lot of people interested and concerned. Um, I, I'd like to follow up on the same question that uh, Commissioner Barker Plummer had. I mean, when I read this presentation, the first thing I thought of f first and foremost was, you know, what are we going to do for children that need support with uh, reading literacy. What are we going to do with support for children that have math literacy support? And so I get the idea of setting up a lot of infrastructure, and I think that's really important because we want it to be sustained. But we have a sustained funding source. This is not this is not money that's going away. This is not a student success grant that will expire in a couple years. Uh, we collectively and the voters collectively ensured that. So. Um, there's a lot of urgency I know from our constituency and, and, and I know it's from all of us that, that we're really starting to address this desire to see better literacy and math outcomes. And I know there's a lot of models. Some of them have been referenced uh, and we've tried to support and fund. Um, but I didn't really get that in this, in, in this presentation today. I understand that school sites councils need to be functioning and, and set up. I understand that we need to have a, a student success coordinator. Um, but another thing that jumped out at me, um, and I know that Commissioner Fisher uh, shares my concern from all the work that she's done, wh where is the focus on children with learning differences? Because uh, without a focus on that in this, uh, we're not gonna achieve better reading outcomes. So I wanna give you the opportunity to respond to that, um, DCYF and, and SFUSD. So, I will yield to oh. Dr. Wayne there. I just was walking up, uh, <clears throat> not as quick. Uh, so, you know, I uh, understand what you are inquiring about and appreciate it. And I think, though, 
um, the way this, this fund is set up, it is outcomes-based, right? So what there are, as you pointed out, there are some parameters of what need to be uh, in place to access the funding, but it does not say that you know, we will use this strategy, um, we will you know, take this approach to math, uh, we're going to do this around college and career readiness. And that's why you do hear me emphasize that it, it needs to be based on our goals, and we're not going to meet our goals just with the current resources we have. So um, I've talked about the high-level goals like of third-grade literacy, but then as a district, we have uh, what we call interim goals. So we have a kindergarten interim goal for next year that we're going to increase by 24% our... Um, black and Pacific Islander students who are meeting grade level standards at the end of kindergarten, right? A foundational year, and it's where, as you know, like that's where you'll start to see whether students need additional support. So we're expecting then in the work that schools are doing to see plans that are supporting that and then identifying additional supports that would be funded through the Student Success Fund. But I do want to be clear, it's not going to necessarily share what your uh, pointing out that it's, you're going to see a consistent, uh, you know, uh, expenditure across the board for uh, literacy or math. It's really, uh, you know, the, the theory behind uh, how this was put together was that schools understand their needs within the con to meet the common goals of the district. Okay. But I, I would imagine that each school is going to put together a package and is going to work with community and commissioners and others to put forward a plan, um, but I, I, it seems to me that student outcomes uh, and, and support drove, in a lot of ways, the creation of this fund as a way to supplement. Um, I don't know what that was. We get all types of weird things when we have <laughs> online, on, online and, and remote public comment. Um, but. Um, yeah, anyway, it sounds like there, there's a lot of room for flexibility except for not funding core staff and support. And I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to make sure that we're prioritizing those you know, key goals as a part of funding this program. I mean, you know, there, there are schools in the city, and I, we said this a lot on the, the campaign trail um, and through the creation of this process that have you know, robust PTA budgets that can fund math literacy and reading, uh, reading literacy support and prioritizing and after school programs and potentially nurses and paras and I think all of those things are, Im are important and we have some great models out there that we should be replicating um, and, and prioritizing. I, this Can is, I add something? Oh, go ahead, Tris. Just really quick, like I 100% agree. One of the, that's why one of the reasons in the first year doing the asset mapping is to look at what's already there. Like I can tell you, there's a couple of school sites that have five different literacy programs, but the problem is they're not coordinating with each other. Right. And so, you know, it's like who is exactly which students are being helped. And so being able to look at that, we can then address, okay, let's figure out a plan to make sure that we're meeting the needs of all the students. If you need additional resources, like we need to bring in another program because the fifth graders aren't actually being, um, um, the needs of the fifth graders aren't being addressed in literacy or math because the programs that are there are just K through third or 
you know, second grade through fourth grade, let's say. So that's part of the plan too of working with the school sites to identify and be able to address just what you said. How do we really meet the needs of literacy and math? We know that's a huge, huge um, deficit for our kids, like the achievement level. We have a couple of pilots happening right now to try to address that. But that's the purpose of also year one of doing this asset mapping and this landscaping to understand what's actually there and figure out is coordination needed and additional resources or is it just coordination and then we're able to meet the needs. Thank you. That makes sense. Thank you. And I, I, I just wanted to add really quickly, I, I, I just want to say that I think the plan, the implementation plan is so faithful to the design of the ordinance and I want to appreciate that. And the idea in the way that we wrote the ordinance is that the schools are going to probably decide that they need a math interventionist or a math coach or, a, you know, the, these critical positions that there's not funding within the school right now, but that will be made by the school community deciding what's the purpose. But why I love your implementation plan and think it's so well done is because in these interim, in this interim year, the, the administration, the central office, DCYF is so aware that these are the major problems, both social, emotional, and um, math and reading, that they can do these emergency grants. You know, this school doesn't have a reading specialist. Well, we're going to use these funds in an emergency way to, to, to do it, or, or we're going to start this pipeline program around mental health and make sure every wellness center, wink, wink, uh, uh, superintendent, um, has a, a full-time intern with a stipend, and that way we can attract them in. And so that I, that's what I think is so creative about your implementation plan is you're working on that infrastructure, but you're immediately responding this year uh, in that first year in a very thoughtful way. So I just, just wanted Thanks. to add those two cents. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Loftus. Uh, thank you, Chair Ronan, and this is a question for any of the presenters. Um, thank you so much, and thank you for making the uh, presentation available. One thing that really stood out to me is the um, rapid response, um, because there's a very clearly demarcated timeline here, and crises aren't known to adhere to that structure or really any structure. <laughs> so I was wondering um, how rapid would the rapid response be how quickly could schools um, get this needed funding if they encountered a crisis sure it's hard that she's not here but she's out there Sharice did you want to talk a little bit about it we'll be we'll be building on an existing structure to to get rapid response funds to schools so I believe it's very rapid but if Sharice is on she can talk about that more Yes, I mean, I could jump in real quick. Yes, we already have a process set up um, that we've done with our department. It was called the Opportunity Fund, and it'll happen very similarly. You just have to fill out an application and say exactly what the um, the emergency is, um, what is it that you need to address it, how much it gets reviewed, and then the funds could be transferred almost immediately. Would immediately be... A week, a month. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think those are. I totally understand. Those are the things we're gonna work out because it does need. Like if you know, for example, my roof is leaking. It is raining. We need to get it fixed. You know, or there's you know cameras that need to be bought. 
um, for school sites and we need them like ASAP. So it could be as quickly as a couple of days, a week, um, nothing beyond, it's not like it's gonna take a month to get the funds, hence it wouldn't be rapid. So um, it, basically I see Maria nodding and you could jump in at any time too. I just want to just emphasize that DCYF already has a grant a grant making infrastructure between us and the school district. So we would be able to very quickly transfer funds over to the school district and allow the school district to use it right away. Even if funds itself doesn't get transferred, the, there's like special codes. As long as the school district have access to those codes, they can then start billing against that. Um, so once again, it's, it's much faster than what we've traditionally known to do. Um, but that's because we've now building up our infrastructure and partnership between the city and the school district. This is what, what is possible. And it's brand new level of possibility here. Great. Thank you. Really like your style, Commissioner Loftus. <laughs> um, um, Commissioner Pimentel. Thank you, Chair Ronan. I just wanted to start off by saying that I am grateful to have this joint hearing with Chair Ronan and the Youth Commission, um, and thank you to all the presenters and commissioners here. I do have a quick question. I may have missed it within the presentation, but one thing that stood out to me from the presentation is how there will be a collaborative governance that will be created to provide advisory oversight and accountability to the fund. So I was just wondering who will be determining determining that criteria to be part of that government's body? And when will that group be established? Um, has the criteria or the group been established yet? I can just take that very quickly. This is Maria. Um, we have not established the group yet. We recognize that a group, an oversight body needs to be established, uh, particularly because these funds were uh, designed and, and created by the community. And so we wanna make sure that community involvement um, is central to, to the funds. Um, so we have not, and that's, that's part of the phase two, that last slide that says there's many more things that will come soon. Um, and that is one of uh, the things that will be coming out soon. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Melgar, or Supervisor Melgar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, this is a hard question to ask, but I'm going to ask it of the superintendent and in Ms. Lau-Smith. Um, so, you know, sometimes uh, in schools that have uh, low-income populations or immigrant populations uh, whose uh, language is not English, a first language, um, the folks who participate in the school site council are those in the dominant population. And I am wondering how we can ensure that community school services um, actually reflect the needs of uh, the school sites. Um, you know, knowing that sometimes the school leadership uh, there are some voices that are louder than others, you know? And, and at the same token, by the same token, you know, there are communities that have greater capacity in the community in terms of nonprofit organizations, you know, uh, 
technical know-how for how to do some things than another. So how can we ensure that there's also capacity building and sharing with these funds uh, so that communities end up in a better place as well by supporting the schools and bringing what they need to school so that this money is used to train their staff so that they can serve the community school population, given that you know some, some communities just don't have those. Um, yeah, thank you, because uh, you're right, the, the families who participate in school site council um, are already engaged because they've committed to you know, monthly meetings and spending their time and energy, but the school site council is supposed to be informed by the broader school community. I think we're getting some lessons learned from what we're doing right now uh, the, through the what we call our LCAP, our Local Control Accountability Plan. And in the district, um, the district does an LCAP while a school does an, an SPSA. We love our acronyms in, in education. But we've been uh, having town halls and meeting with uh, uh, community members. And what we're seeing, and we actually just spoke with the parent last night, is there does need to be more intentional outreach and coordination. And I think an area where we could be more coordinated is like working with our school's family liaisons um, about this. So the family, many schools have a family liaison who will speak the, the language of the, uh, the community um, and will speak their primary language. And uh, we're wanting to increase the coordination between the districts and the school sites and the uh, family liaisons so that like when there's these critical planning opportunities around LCAP or around the school plan and the, how they use the student success fund, that the, the school is um, aware of those and then the school community members whose job is to help provide that outreach uh, know what it is that we're, uh, where we're seeking input. So I think that, that's one way we're looking to involve more voices uh, in this process. Thank you. Um, uh, Commissioner, I think. Sorry. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Um, I wanted to clarify some information around community school coordinators. From my knowledge, there isn't a surplus of school staff right now. And so I was wondering what qualifies a community school coordinator and if it's expected that all of these schools who are starting to apply for grants will be able to find someone to fill this position. And if not, what the plan for that is. That's a great question, and I think it's our ongoing theme of just staffing challenges all around for just about every position we can think of. Um, so within the district, the community schools coordinator, similar to the way the city has job descriptions and job codes, the community schools coordinator is a particular position that already has a job description that is about provide that person providing the support for the community schools framework. So we would we have to we would be following that same process. To your point of being able to recruit and hire folks to that position, I do think there will probably be challenges for some school sites. It's going to be the same for trying to find after-school workers and social workers and things, um, but we'll be hopefully working with all of the schools to help with the recruitment. The, if people don't have it, I think you're speaking to the eligibility requirement that says that you must have it. We will definitely discuss that um, with DCYF. We don't 
the idea is not to make the eligibility criteria so that a school cannot apply. That's not, I don't believe that was the intent of the legislation. So we would have to think about what would we have to provide and what type of support and what alternative ideas if that particular part of the um, eligibility couldn't be, could not be met after you'd done extensive re uh, recruitment and couldn't hire somebody. Thank you, Commissioner Hum. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Uh, good evening, presenters. Um, in 2022, the San Francisco Youth Commission recommended to support the Student Success Fund. And in that resolution of support, uh, we called on San Francisco policymakers and community leaders to implement a grant application process that consistently um, consults and value the input of all SFUSC students. As my fellow, fellow Civic Engagement and Education Committee members would agree with me, Youth voice is important and critical. If not already, are there plans to include a youth seat or representation on the collaborative governance body to provide advisory oversight? Absolutely. <laughs> this is Maria. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and that was something that I, I neglected to mention um, earlier when uh, the other commissioner asked about the advisory body. Uh, we definitely want to uh, make sure that there are young people on um, the advisory body, as well as parents. Um, so and um, and uh, SFUSD staff. So so that we truly have um, a diversity of uh, voices and experiences helping us uh, helping guide the the usage of the funds. I did, may I add to that? I also just wanted to let you know that school site councils have seats for youth students. So, and since they're integral in doing the needs assessment and identifying the interventions that the school would be applying for, there will be that voice in that area as well. That's great. Thank you. Um, well, now it looks like there's no other questions. So now let's open this item up for public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. We will take public comment now on agenda item number one. As I indicated earlier, we're going to hear from folks gathered here in the board chamber first. If you have comments on agenda item number one, please line up on the curtain wall side of this room here in the chamber. That's the west side. I'm pointing towards it. And then come forward to the lectern. And while we have people gathering over there to prepare their comments, I want to give folks who are connected to our meeting remotely a reminder about how they can join our discussion on this through public comment. If you are listening to our meeting via the telephone and you want to provide public comment at this time, you need only press star three and then wait until you hear that your line has been unmuted and it will be your opportunity to provide your comments. Our first speaker, please come forward to the lectern for two minutes. Hello, uh, my name is Stephanie Falkenstein and I have a son who's a first grader at Yikwo Elementary School. I am also on the chair of our school site council. Um, I am very thankful for this group meeting here and convening today. I see a lot of familiar faces. I feel like I've been to very many SFUSD meetings. Um, I'm like, they're probably like, oh no, it's that girl, her again. Um, but in any case, and I've sent emails to you, um, Ro um, Ronan. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is there's a couple points which I've heard expressed that I would like to reinforce. Um, one is that I really highly echo 
um, Superintendent Swain's comment that these decisions are made at the school site level. Um, as an SSC, we make sure that we are a representative school body and that we get all of the input from every single student at our school, every single community member at our school, including the 30% of our, of our families that identify as English language learners. Um, and this is just part of the school site council process. So from year to year, from school to school, we see the needs are, be, are highly variable. So I just want to stress that I really respect the way that this has been crafted, and I love this. Um, I do not remember the acronym, but the community site uh, nature of making these decisions. Um, I also would like to echo other comments I've heard um, in relation to hiring. So when I, the one flag I've had ever since I've seen this proposition is on that full-time coordinator role. <laughs> I'm not sure, oh no, I'm not sure if many people realize this, but as a tiered one school, we only have a principal and a secretary bringing on someone full-time in a role when we do not even have a full-time social worker seems an agrarious use of funds that could actually spent on student outcomes. Um, if we could share this role across schools, that's great, um, but I don't think we actually need to have this um, in place. I would actually argue against this particular role. Is, is that me? Thank you. <laughs> I am new here. I apologize. Thank you for um, sharing your comments. You, we have to move on to the next speaker. Just for uh, future speakers so that you don't get caught off, you're going to hear a soft chime. That means you have 30 seconds remaining, and then there will be a louder chime when that means we need to move on to the next speaker. Next speaker, please. Thank you. Very familiar with that chime. Um, <laughs> uh, good evening, um, supervisors, youth commissioners. Um, Board of Ed Commissioners. I'm Jose Luis Tacumejia with Coleman Advocates for Children and Youth. I definitely want to just start with appreciation for everyone, and I won't get into naming so I could use this time wisely, but thank you for everyone's collective work uh, to get us to this point. Um, I do want to just uplift also, right, that a lot of this work um, is rooted and has been rooted in community parent voices, black and brown families, um, API voices, uh, as well to fight for this community school model for a whole long time. Um, and I think part of that is, I think, also in the spirit of your question, uh, meeting around um, the equity piece, right? And how do we support our families and our school communities, right? In the application process, when to the other parents' um, point, right? A lot of our schools are already super strained and I can just hear our parents right now saying how difficult like it is gonna be potentially to get to these funds, right? When we're already bare bones and we're already just trying to like stay afloat and some of us are sinking and we're losing families and and folks are in crisis as we speak. And so just want to uplift that, right? And I think um, superintendent, I don't know where you went, um, um, as well, right? It's something that I said in public comment around the guardrails, right? It is omitting a lot of the hard work that families have done around equity, social justice, right? Infusing that into the mission and the vision of SFUSD. And I don't see that, right? We don't see that there, right? And so we want to make sure that part of those academic outcomes, and if we are looking at the whole child and family, right, that that's part of that, right? As how we're getting to that global citizenry, right, um, is to build citizens that are solution-oriented, have a critical lens, right, and can be actively engaged in their community while in school thank and you. after. So thank, thank you, Jose you. Luis Mejia, for your comments. And just uh, 
reminder to folks who are here, if you have support for the speaker, please provide your support with wiggling your fingers. They'll feel the warmth coming from you, but please do not interrupt the proceedings with a clap. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Hello, everybody. My name is Leslie Hu. I'm the Secretary of United Educators of San Francisco. And I'm here to really show my extreme happiness um, that uh, the progress that we made. Um, 2022 was a really rough year for all of us, but it was especially rough. Uh, it, it really time intensive to get this passed, and it was really amazing. We got it passed with 76% of San Francisco voters, and it was due to a lot of the hard work, you know, all of our Board of Ed Commissioners, all of our Board of Supervisors, even our Youth uh, Commissioner Vanessa Pimentel was part, part of the campaign to win. Um, and so it's been really amazing to see, and we're really excited to, um, UESF is really excited to partner and support this work. Um, and we're committed to allocating the resources to be able to do that. And I think one point I wanted to make about community schools, um, there's a couple of different things that are really special today in particular, one of which is this joint session with um, the grown-up uh, board of uh, supervisors as well as the youth commissioners. That's what community schools is all about, right? It's about shared decision-making with young people, with families, with educators, and with community. And so recognizing that there are dozens of young people who now have to leave, but they, they are here to actually be able to lead the work, right? We all know that young people know exactly what they need to learn and grow, and they ain't afraid to, sh to share that. But when we create as adults get out of their way and be able to create the systems and structures for them to tell us what they need and what they want from their educational experience, they will all grow and we will all be better for it. So I really appreciate all this work um, and looking forward to um, continued partnership. Thank you, Leslie Hu, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hey, good evening. My name is Jessica Wynn from the District 4 Youth and Families Network. Um, you guys rock, great questions. Um, so I think it sounds like a lot of the implementation of this depends on staff that there is not um, um, with reasons like not enough pay, not enough career development or trainings, um, and just like not enough care for the, the people that we already have hired. Um, so I'm looking for, I guess, in this, like this acknowledgement of post-COVID times, um, the collective trauma that everyone uh, underwent um, like the critical development stages that were missed and hindered um, by the pandemic, the isolation. And so in talking about hiring trauma-informed staff during a staff shortage, I'd like to know um, if we're going to set up new expectations measured by state tests uh, for students, um, how can we ensure that trauma-informed education without a focus on current staff training and well-being? Um, and I'm sorry, how can we ensure trauma-informed education without a focus on current staff trainings, uh, their well-being, and the compensation. And I guess that's just kind of like to the point of, I think, Supervisor Melgar and how to ensure that these funds will be used to support the whole community, including staff training, as she mentioned, um, trainings that can be passed down to the students and the families that support the students. So thank you. Thank you, Jessica Wayne, for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good evening, um, my name is Dr. Angela Gallegos Castillo. I work with Instituto Familiar de la Raza with Roadmap to Peace Initiative. And I am very grateful and thankful that this Prop G is happening. It is, I know, a heavy lift, many hours and hours of hours of thoughtful thinking. And I just want to remind everyone in the room that it is so critical for all of us to have a voice in how this is implemented, and I'm grateful for this hearing. 
I just want us to remind us a little bit about um, how important the relational model is to everything. That I hope we don't use metrics that only look at the, the, we need to have graduation, we need good literacy, we need good math, but we also need other metrics that look at the social, emotional development of children and their connection and belonging to community, to family, and to their school. So let's not forget that relational model. Target universalism is a wonderful model as well. We have universal goals, but we very much look at equity and how we target marginalized, undocumented, underserved children and make sure that, because we know the devil's in the details, right? We could conjure up this wonderful design, but let's make sure we don't lose um, ourselves in the details. Relational model, I would recommend we increase the $25,000 per school. It doesn't buy much. Um, wage equity, restorative practice, youth development, all of those um, frameworks are so important as we think about implementing community schools here in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments, Dr. Castillo. Could we hear from the next speaker, please? Hello, everyone. My name is Michelle Cassano, and I am the executive director of the Richmond Neighborhood Center. And I am so happy to be here today because this feels like the culmination of decades and decades of work that community organizations have been doing in partnership with SFUSD for so many years. And I just want to make sure that this group knows to really that we want to uplift that work, that work that so many amazing leaders have done for years with the Beacon Initiative, and that we bring that into the room and we bring that into the planning and commitment to this work as we have proven outcomes that are social-emotional learning outcomes and academic outcomes that we can share and build upon together. And we're really just excited to be a part of this and seeing this really come to fruition. It's, it's amazing to see. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle Casano, for sharing your comments with the committee and the youth commissioners who are here. Do we have anyone else who wants to provide public comment on agenda item number one? If so, please come forward to the lectern now. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Asibesio Nao Finao, and um, I'm an educational coordinator and family advocate for Latino Task Force and also SALT. Um, and I look forward to hopefully sharing um, with SFUSD and DCYF uh, about the needs for our children, sharing ideas on how to build programs that will help our children become successful. And as a parent of a high school student and also co-chair for the Matua Advisory Council, and I also look forward to um, sharing the needs of our Pacific Islander student here in SFUSD. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your comments with the committee and the task, uh, uh, youth commission members. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Madison, and I'm here on behalf of the Children and Youth Fund Service Providers Working Group. I want to thank you all for this really insightful presentation. I just want to echo some of the questions and thoughts that we heard from Supervisor Melgar, as well as a previous speaker and one of the youth commissioners, that this work is really led by the youth service providers, right? If we don't have them, if they are not paid well, if they are not in sustainable jobs, then the work will not get done, right? 
And so we just want to, I just want to call out the fact that it's great that we have pipelines for SFUSD youth to go into these careers, but we want to make sure that we are building, funneling them into high paying jobs, into sustainable careers. And also with new initiatives like this, we know that we need seasoned staff. We need staff who have been around doing this work for a while in order to be successful in this. So whether it's in this uh, legislation or somewhere else, I'm just here to name that we need to continue to invest in our youth service providers and their wages and building sustainable um, lifestyles for them um, to ensure that this work can be done well and caring for the people that are doing it. Thank you so much, Madison, for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else here in the chamber who has public comment on agenda item number one? We should turn our attention to folks who have connected to our meeting remotely. I understand we have nine of them listening, and of them there are three at this time who wish to speak. If you wish to speak on this item, you should dial star three. Could we please be connected to the first of those callers? Hi, this is Susan Karasoff, a District 2 resident in the Yuklu Elementary School and Francisco Middle School community. I appreciate the work you did to get Prop G written and, that you're, and, and the work that you're doing to prepare for the school site proposals. But our kids are hurting now. How do we get access to those opportunity funds immediately? And there are a broad range of schools that would benefit from the Student Success Fund. Um, there are Tier 1 schools that fall just short of Title I status and are not fundraising powerhouses. $70,000 could enable us to hire a full-time social worker rather than the half-time one we have now. 20K could support art for a year, and I agree, 25K does not buy much support, especially when there are hiring challenges. Please reconsider the full-time adult position coordinator requirement. As much of the funding as possible should be tied directly to student outcomes, not administrative staff. We only have two admin staff now, one principal and one, step and one secretary. Tier 1 SFUSD elementary schools don't have a literacy support specialist, a nurse, an assistant principal, or even a full-time social worker. Um, we're only guaranteed a half-time social worker. Um, our children are hurting, and they need immediate access to social worker support. Please keep it simple and reduce the administrative burden. School site councils are accustomed to seeking feedback from, from students and staff and families to develop and make our budget recommendations. Um, and, and please make sure that the decisions around grant proposals are made at the site level because the needs vary from site to site and year to year. Thank you so much for your attention. My comments are complete. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. Youth Commissioner, Supervisors, School Board Members, my name is Efraín Barrera. And I'm a Latino Task Force Committee Chair and Mission Promise Neighborhood Director at MEDA in the Resident District 9. Thank you for the presentation and, and sharing the details of the implementation plan. I appreciate the intentionality of centering the school sites as the ones who will be driving the application process, which will be informed by community needs and leveraging the existing resources and critical community partnerships. As a former community school coordinator, I'm actually excited that the implementation plan is grounded, is rooted in the community school model. With that said, I also want to elevate that one of the priority areas that was that came out of the uh, SF RISE was around systems alignment and capacity development, as it is going to be crucial that the, that the sites have an equitable process that, inform, that is informed by the needs of all the families at the school and all the students at the school. So I understand that uh, from a governance pr uh, perspective, 
that uh, grounding it on the school side council makes sense. However, I would definitely challenge that the process be inclusive and that, they, that, they, that you come up with a system that is comprehensive, that is actually equitable, and that it includes all the, the, the especially the focal uh, populations at each site. And I say that because the Latino task force uh, was engaged in a, in a community gathering of priority areas. And we heard from a lot of different neighborhoods, the Mission, the uh, D11, uh, so the Excelsior, the Bayview, uh, and families share what truly matters to them, how they see the, the, this investment in school sites and the things that truly uh, will make an impact for the educational experience of their kids. And many of those revolve around uh, improving the conditions, the learning conditions, the schools, the cafeterias, the bathrooms, a lot of uh, the youth that we actually uh, connected with Thank were talking about school lunches and how they need Speaker's to be improved. Speaker's time has concluded. Sorry to cut you off. We do have to move on to the next speaker once we've mm -hmm. reached two minutes. And uh, Madam Chair, I understand that we have no further callers in the queue. Thank you so much. Um, public comment is now closed. Thank you for this incredible hearing. Um, I just want to take a moment of uh, doing a very special thanks to Jennifer Ferrigno from my office. I know, let's give her a hand, everyone. <laughs> Those of you who don't know her, uh, Prob G would never have happened without her. She shepherded um, and helped write the, the thing and made sure to incorporate all the community comments and met with everyone and their mother, literally, <laughs> to make sure it happened. So thank you so much, Jen. This is so exciting. Um, we're just going to see magic come from this initiative and uh, see different phases, phases over the future. Special thanks to Melilla Smith and uh, Superintendent um, Matthews, to Sharice Dorsey and Maria Sue. I, I think your plan is brilliant and amazing. I want to thank you so much again for staying true uh, to the legislation, but also bringing your own flair and your partnership uh, to the fore. And uh, I hope this is the first of many opportunities to uh, look at this program and see how it, how it's working to really take uh, our schools and our youth to the next level. And I w almost want to hold all of our future meetings with you, youth commissioners. Your questions are amazing. I love how you hold uh, the city staff uh, to, to actually answering your question. <laughs> um, it's really, really uh, a pleasure to do this with you. Um, and with that, I will make a motion to uh, file this hearing if we can take a roll call vote. A motion has been offered by the chair that this hearing be filed on that motion. Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition. That motion passes unanimously. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number two? Agenda item number two is a hearing to discuss on a multi-agency plan to, dis to address increasing youth violence at school sites and in the community and present current programming and plans for immediate expansion of programming to address safety and mental health challenges for youth and uh, within other city agencies. Thank you so much, and I really want to appreciate all Supervisor Melgar's work around this issue, her immediate response and leadership 
and I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Thank you, Chair Ronan, uh, and thank you, Supervisor Safai and honorable members of the Youth Commission uh, for holding this hearing. Uh, last month, after a series of highly publicized violent incidents involving youth, uh, including a number of assaults and fights in my district at the Stone Sound Mall, uh, it became abundantly clear that uh, many of our youth are in crisis. President Peskin and I joined city and school district leaders for an emergency convening with the mayor's office to coordinate a plan of response to effectively address the incidents that occur and also to develop a long-term strategy to prevent these acts of violence uh, in the first place. Uh, it was an all hands on deck and I want to sincerely thank uh, Mayor Breed for her um, leadership and uh, she got everybody to the table, which is not something that I think I could have done. Um, I don't want to make light of uh, the fact that incidents that occur were not only alarming, but also quite dangerous uh, for the youth and for the communities where they happened. Uh, people were physically hurt, which is unacceptable under any circumstances. Moreover, these incidents left a chilling impact citywide among students, parents, seniors, and other bystanders. Families and members of the public uh, are asking, what's going on? Where have we failed? We can all agree that our students uh, and residents should be safe, should feel safe uh, getting around to and from school, safe on campus and also safe in the community. Uh, what is abundantly clear is that we're not doing everything we can to prevent youth from resorting to violence uh, and we're not addressing these incidents quickly enough or early enough. Um, our young people are struggling, and we know that many of our vulnerable youth are behind academically and also socially. Those already are risks that are even worse off. Uh, we cannot ignore that social media also plays a role in exacerbating what is already a challenging time with adolescence and youth development. I had the opportunity to go uh, to the Target at Stonestown Mall and view the um, video of the incident that went viral on social media. Um, and what I got to see was the 10 seconds before the incident and the 10 seconds after, which is not what was on Instagram. And what was clear to me was that a lot of the folks who, the, the young people who came who were bystanders uh, in this incident came and took out their cell phones uh, and started putting on Instagram Live before the victim or uh, the 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 person who beat her uh, walked into the frame. So I do think that there is a role that is new about social media, how we use social media, how youth interact uh, with social media that is uh, fueling and also um, providing a, a really uh, important and uh, a tricky element to what is going on in their interactions. There needs to be a strong, clear message um, that there are consequences uh, to actions, uh, but also we need to be held accountable as adults to provide the structure and the guidance and the resources to address the systemic root causes of these issues. We need to work to support the growth and the development of the youth who participated as bystanders, who broadcast these incidents on Instagram Live um, for the reward of getting more likes and more followers. 
Over the past month, there has been a heightened response strategy that brought in the appropriate partners to work directly with the youth and the families who were involved in these violent incidents. Um, we're going to hear more about this immediate response from the SFUSD. Uh, we will hear from Dr. Wayne first because he's, he's got to move on to another meeting, uh, but also other agencies. There has been a system-wide coordinated approach to leverage and expand the existing city school district partnerships to provide more programming, counseling, mental health support for our students and their families. So today I hope uh, we can shed light and ask uh, questions um, uh, about the work that's underway as part of this effort um, and how the Board of Supervisors can support this work and so that also community can feel assured that community and kids are safe both at school and the community. Uh, we will also hear from uh, Maria Sue, the Director of Children, Youth and Families, whose agent agency has been leading this interdepartmental coordinated plan, but we also have uh, representatives here from various city agencies that are part of this coordinated response. Uh, and I wanna make sure to acknowledge them and we may have questions for them, uh, colleagues and, and commissioners. Um, that is Chief uh, Katie Weinstein Miller, uh, who uh, heads the Juvenile Probation Department, Assistant Chief David Lazar of the SFPD, Director Cheryl Davis of the Human Rights Commission, Eileen Mariano of the Ma Mayor's Education Advisor, Linda Barnard, Manager of Neighborhood Services from Reckon Park, Tiffany Sutton uh, from the District Attorney's Office, Emily Goldman, uh, and um, Rebecca Marcus uh, with the San Francisco Youth Defender Unit at the Public Defender's Office, uh, Teresa Schism, uh, who is the Deputy Security Chief and Joel Ramos from uh, the MTA, uh, and Sophia Isam, uh, the Program Director for the Human Services Agency. So they're all here, uh, as we are all here, because we care deeply about this work, uh, and we are uh, here to have questions asked of the plan. So before I hand it over to Dr. Wayne and Maria Sue, uh, through our chair, <laughs> I, uh, I want to um, turn it over to my co-sponsor of this hearing, Supervisor Safai, to make any opening remarks. Thank you, uh, Supervisor Melgar. I don't really have much to add. You really summed it up uh, beautifully. I think all of the issues that you presented are things that we're thinking about um, accountability, but also thinking about how, uh, the, how we got here, how we got to a place where social media and children are, are, are using social media in this way, but the mental health aspect, um, the aspect of doing it in a public environment, and the impact that it has on all children that aren't even, that, that might not even have been participating. Um, there were other incidents that happened throughout the city that day, not just, uh, excuse me, that week, not just in your district, but in my district and in other parts of the city that involved some serious violence, that involved weapons, that you wouldn't expect uh, middle schoolers to have. And so uh, we've heard from a lot of parents that are extremely concerned. We know COVID has had a tremendous impact on the mental health of a lot of children and families and youth. Um, and so to see uh, knives and guns um, uh, utilized is it, it's scary, it's scary for a lot of people. And so I think this, this hearing is important appreciate the thought that you put into this and the, the group that you brought together. So I'm um, here to listen and look for solutions 
um, and be able to work with the families and, and providers and others that are really doing this frontline work uh, because it's just extremely important. Thank you, Supervisor. So uh, I will, with no further delay, turn it over to um, Dr. Wayne. Welcome. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you, Supervisor Melgar and Safai, for calling this hearing on this important topic. Uh, in my nine months in San Francisco Unified, one thing I've appreciated is how the community really wants to come together to support our youth. And I spoke about that in the last presentation. And it means we're here to work together. And so uh, you spoke of a, a challenging week in San Francisco last month that I have to say was one of the most difficult I've had in my 25 years in education. And um, I got a chance, and I think we're in an environment where you both picked up the phone and we had conversations. And I appreciated that the question became, you know, not what are you going to do district, not what are you going to do city, but what are we going to do together? And I think this hearing reflects that because it's uh, the issues we're talking about are occurring inside of school and outside of school, and we're all, we're all here for our youth. Um, you know, and as a parent and educator, I recognize the critical role that school safety plays in making sure our students can learn and thrive and meet those goals I've talked about that are so important to us. So I know there's many questions, and I appreciate the opportunity today to share information on our plans and practices to support our students. So I think we have a presentation if you want to go to slide two. Just a um, moment while we call up the presentation, please. And you know, today's focus is on our support and uh, prevention efforts, right? We want to get ahead of this. We want to be proactive, not reactive. But we do want to quickly touch base on our readiness and response framework because these incidents do occur. And we want, want to provide context for how we deploy resources when there is an incident. Uh, we'll then look at our uh, wraparound student services to provide coordinated resources and support to students, as well as the pre preventative work that we do by fostering a positive school climate and culture. So if you go to the next slide, you know, we recognize school safety is fundamental for our students' to be, uh, ability to learn and thrive, and I want to bring up again our guardrails uh, that, that guide the work that we're doing in order to meet our goals. And uh, you can see here, uh, again, it's really about serving the whole child. And for us, you know, we know many of our students and families are facing a variety of challenges, raising for, ranging from access to affordable housing, homelessness, increased economic stress, and community violence. And many of these challenges are compounded by the res residual impact of the pandemic. And so this is the context in which we are doing our work to educate our students and ensure that they're safe. If you go to the next slide, um, I do want to briefly discuss our readiness strategy in relation to school safety planning. So as a district and our schools, we're required to have safety plans in the event of a, an emergency. And then we employ evidence-based prevention measures and have practices like audits and drills in place. And this is for all emergencies, not just the ones that make the, the headlines. Uh, so we want to reassure families that we're able to effectively respond, deploy resources, and support our students and families when there is an emergency. Next slide. So our response is based on the uh, National Incident Management System called NIMS. They work at all levels of government and with non-governmental organizations to work, uh, to work together to prevent, protect against, and mitigate, and respond to and recover from incidents. So it requires coordination across the entire district between central offices and school sites, and we coordinate with the city uh, as well. 
And this gets, structure gets activated when there's an emergency at school. Um, and it's been activated recently uh, when the, uh, with the most recent safety issues. So this allows us to effectively coordinate internally with our external city partners and to communicate with families and key stakeholders, dispatch resources, track progress, gather and analyze and distribute information. And this is key and foundational to our ability to not just respond to a crisis, but also effectively provide support at the onset of an incident. So we have a successfully suffused potential danger, like an example when the firearm was discovered at one of our schools when staff intervened but, uh, in an altercation. So we activated the protocols, we were able to address rumors about an active shooter, and then worked with SFPD on the investigation. And so it could have escalated if not for following those protocols, and someone could have gotten seriously injured. Um, so we know that these are very scary incidents, but we try to effectively communicate with families to, to address the fear and concerns when you hear about what's happening. And in this day and age, they're hearing maybe sometimes even from their students in real time uh, at the schools. And so we want to be as proactive as possible in communicating what happened. Um, if you go to the next slide. So these are all the different uh, scenarios that will trigger those protocols. Uh, you know, you might be familiar with the stop, drop, and roll as it relates to fire safety. Um, and so when we know there's questions around this work. We've submitted in writing additional information related to our emergency preparedness and response and campus security and training. And that, you know, that's one part of our efforts, but it's really about the student support that we're providing uh, that we want to highlight today. So if you go to the next slide. Uh, we're turning, uh, I want to turn to how we provide coordinated support. Um, you know, f our goal is to, uh, following an emergency response, our goal is to restore a school community to baseline functioning, and we assist schools and our staff and students and families to return to normal routines as quickly as possible. And like the kind of events that we're talking about are some of the safety issues we've, we've heard when there's a death in the community, um, hate crimes, a natural disaster, uh, or following an intruder or lockdown event at, at our campus. So if you go to the next slide. Um, so this shows our coordinated response that maps onto our emergency response. So it's not, uh, so you heard me describe the emergency response, but then it's really how are we taking care of our, our students and our staff. So that includes working with social workers who will go out to the school to provide additional care helping uh, with our, working with our partners at DCYF to activate community-based um, resources and providing linguistically accessible and culturally responsive clinical counseling, social-emotional supports, and resources uh, to support each school. So, for example, I want to happen what, I would, uh, highlight what happened at one of our middle schools after a recent stabbing incident. Upon notification, the central crisis team uh, response team uh, um, came out to help and consult and respond. We were able to work with CYC to provide in-language clinical uh, support, that's the Chinese Youth Commission and supervision at Francisco. Healing circles were facilitated for staff. Um, SFDPH Child Crisis Services were sent to staff to support our students. Um, and so we really tried to provide an environment where students could process and talk about what happened, including having advisory focus on those efforts. I actually went out to the school and led one of those advisories and uh, you know, and had some uh, tough conversations with the students about how they're feeling, not just about the incident, about uh, you know, their experiences in school as well, but learned a lot on how we could support them. Um, I do want to be honest around the challenges. You've heard us talk about the staffing shortages we face with nurses and 
uh, social workers and in other positions. This isn't unique to San Francisco, um, but it makes it difficult. And uh, again, you heard our efforts using the School Student Success Fund to try to create pipelines and increase that support. If you go to the next slide. Um, so when we talk about um, you know, being proactive, this is really about the, the culture and climate that we're building at the site. And, uh, and so it all starts with the relationships, making sure that our students know that there's um, someone that they could talk to on campus. And we know that's always a, a work in progress, helping our students find who, who they can trust and go to when there's an issue. Um, we also have a coordinated care teams, and this is a strategy that um, uh, allows us to integrate student and family support activities and coordination around student success. Referrals can happen to the team, and then we can determine where um, support is needed. We have an SF wellness initiative through our, our partnership with DCYF uh, and the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Uh, we have a wellness center in every SFUSD high school. Uh, I've enjoyed visiting our high schools and going to the centers and talking to the students about uh, why they're there and how it helps them. We deploy central resources. Um, we've actually reassigned some central school, uh, social workers to schools to provide additional care and support. Uh, and we are providing targeted support to our middle schools. We have two new programs, the Navigator and Middle School Wellness Teams uh, from the Student and Family Services Division provide targeted services for our middle schools. And these programs help them uh, provide, get access to mental health services, and they can receive eight to 10 counseling or group sessions per semester. Um, and students can be referred for a variety of reasons to help with anxiety, depression, bullying, trauma, relationships, some of those other issues. And then I want to end my section, and I'll turn it over um, to, D, to our DCYF partners. There is a Say Something anonymous reporting system. You spoke about how much is happening on social media. Where there are these events that happen, often kids know about it ahead of time. In fact, that what happened at the middle school, kids said there was something on uh, WeChat the night before, and if we had known about it, we could have prevented it. So we've really been trying to get the word out about this program that was started last year. It, it's the, in partnership with the Sandy Hook Promise, it allows for anonymous reporting of incidents. I was very, I was both, uh, I was pleased to hear, although it's upsetting, that it was used just two weeks ago. Two different students used this system to report something that then we were able to intervene before there was a bigger issue. And our students, and we have our youth commissioner, you can be our biggest allies in helping be preventative because you know more than we do about what's happening sometimes among your classmates. And so we really want to emphasize that program. So if you go to the next slide, um, uh, I just want to express... Really, my appreciation for uh, the partnership with DCYF. Uh, again, in that month of May, before even starting, I met with Dr. Sue and see how um, um, just how skillful they are in organizing resources and to serve communities in need and being flexible and responsive and dynamic in that. And so we're collaborating around a series of initiatives you see on screen. Um, we're working uh, to launch a public service announcement campaign to uplift resiliency and support available for our youth. Um, they'll be informed on topics such as mental health and violence prevention. And, uh, and then we're also scaling up the violence interruption program in our middle schools. And we're working to build the curriculum and structures to 
uh, for our, what we call our violence interrupters to meet with students weekly on campus and adding training for site leaders. So I know I shared a lot of information, but this is, uh, I know there's a lot of questions in our community. And so again, appreciate you, uh, you calling this, this hearing. I'm going to have to go to another event, but I want to thank the team here. Uh, they've been so responsive, literally day and night, to issues that have happened in our school, and they'll be able to uh, respond to questions as well. Uh, Dr. Sue? Thank you, Dr. Wayne. Hi, Director Sue. Thank you for being here. Still. Thank you, Dr. Wayne. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Melgar and Supervis Supervisor Safai for calling this hearing. Um, I, I think my slides are right after Dr. Wayne's slides. Perfect. Um, I have a few slides that I, I want to share, and then we can engage in the conversation, um, Supervisor Melgar, that you, you asked for. Um, so I wanted to first, um, unfortunately, just set the tone of, of what we are really looking at and talking about. Um, so over the last year, and we chose um, March of 2022 to April of 2023, looking at the data that we received um, from our CBO partners, as well as our school district partners, of all the incidences that involved youth, uh, that involved young people and, and conflicts with young people, um, and in, in total, we we were um, we uh, responded to um, approximately a hundred youth or student conflicts um, that were either on campus or off campus. And off campus meant young people traveling to and from school, or um, at our rec and park sites, or on Muni, or in our malls and other businesses. Um, the majority of these incidences um, involved young people and young people. Um, however, 11 of these incidences involved um, an adult. So that could have been a family member or a person that was over 18. And then um, of the 100 young people, uh, of the 100 conflicts that we responded to, 31 of them um, involved a young person with a gun. So these are alarming data that we are seeing um, with, particularly with the gun involvement, if you can look at the chart next to this, the, the comments here, three, uh, there were three incidences of guns found on campus. Um, there were 10 incidences of a young person with a gun off campus. And unfortunately, there were 18 incidences of shootings that involved young people. In conversations with our chief juvenile probation um, officer, as well as um, our juvenile um, juvenile judges, um, it was shared that the trend for young people having guns and, and guns coming into um, the, the, I'm sorry, um, uh, young people having access to guns have, have risen. The other trend that we're seeing is just that these incidences involve younger and younger young people. Next slide, please. So unfortunately, many of these incidences um, are not really new to the city, um, but DCYF and our city partners currently invest in, in uh, community safety, healing, and violence prevention efforts. Recognizing the urgent need to provide on-campus and off-campus resources from CBO partners um, to help with conflict mediation, DCYF began organizing last year to bring more violence prevention services and programs to 
um, young people um, in schools and um, in the community. So in September of 2021, DCYF and SFUSD partnered to develop a plan for improving school safety, working with prevention experts, the, the National Institute of Criminal Justice Reform, and our key partners. In February of 2022, we formed a multidisciplinary team that you see here, jointly adopting a collective intervention framework model um, to provide prevention and intervention services in partnerships with our school district site staff, as well as administrators um, uh, and our city departments. That includes the Department of Public Health, our Rec and Park Department, our MTA, Muni Department, Public Defender, our DA, um, the Police Department, the Human Services Agency, particularly the, the Child Welfare Unit, um, the Mayor's Office of um, uh, Housing and Community Development, and our Human Rights Commission. Next slide, please. So this is what the new school crisis network process looks like. Under DCYF's um, leadership, we host weekly coordination meetings um, with school administrators, our school violence interrupters, and key city departments. Um, you'll see here that when a violent incident or an incident um, occurs on school site, um, the school responds and there's an internal school response. Um, but what the, the new um, effort is for us to have our citywide um, multidisciplinary team respond as well. And so bringing in the city resources and our partnership to schools to then be more strategic and catering our services to the young people and their needs. So when we meet on a weekly basis in case conferencing um, with our city partners, we can say th this particular young person would benefit from a mental health referral um, or from um, referrals to other nonprofit services and community services or referrals to receive an intensive life coach, um, which is a new partnership that we have with the, the, uh, with the juvenile probation department. Next slide, please. And uh, the superintendent uh, spoke about our uh, school violence interrupter initiative. So once again, in early of 2021, we, st we started to see the uptick in violent incidences in schools and started to work very closely with the school district to figure out ways to bring in rapid response to support um, school administrators and teachers. So starting in early of 2022, we created this school violence interrupter initiative. Uh, what started out as a few school violence interrupters have now expanded to uh, 20 school violence interrupters um, that is now uh, serving uh, 17 schools throughout the city. And of course, some of these violence interrupters move across schools because of course our young people have relationships across schools and have um, uh, have have their own community. Um, and so the violence interrupters main role is to really come onto school campus to provide school mediation, conflict resolution, one-on-one -on -one supports to that young person, 
supports for um, school meetings, maybe provide support for safety plan meetings, um, and then of course continue to participate in trainings with the citywide community, the citywide team, and participate in the citywide coordination meetings. Next slide, please. And then in terms of the citywide coordination um, table, we are focusing on four primary strategies. We will continue to expand our school violence interrupter um, initiative. So once again, we went from uh, initially it was three and then it went to eight and now we're at 20 school violence interrupters. We're hoping to continue to expand and increase the number of violence interrupters that are available for our schools. Um, increase the number of schools that we serve. So once again, um, initially uh, it was only a handful and then it went to eight schools and now we're at 17 schools. We were able to um, secure a state grant to um, also augment some of the funding that would be needed to staff up this initiative. Um, and this is definitely something that would qualify as an emergency rapid um, response um, funding in the Student Success Fund. Number two, we will continue. Um, we will continue to uh, to to host the citywide coordination table because I, you know. The, we cannot solve this problem all by ourselves. We need um, more supports and more um, more partners at the table. And so DCYF is committed to continuing to support this work. Um, we are also hiring up so that we can then have better access to data, so that we can then be uh, more responsive and um, and then and then be able to to be more surgical in the way we deploy our services. And then number three, we want to expand our training and capacity building supports. Um, we are currently training um, our CBOs and violence interrupters, but, but we definitely want to expand this training to other city departments. And thankful um, and thank you to our uh, Rec and Park Department, as well as the um, MTA, uh, the MTA, our Muni department, our Muni, um, who want to um, train their staff so that they, their staff can also be um, uh, supports to our violence interrupters. And then finally, what the superintendent was referring to around public awareness campaigns. We are co-sponsoring with the school district on a public service awareness campaign um, to make sure that everyone understands that they also have a role in making sure that um, all places um, are safe for everyone, but particularly for our young people. Um, so DCYF is working with our school district to put together a curriculum so that we can then um, share that at assemblies and rallies, um, both on and off campus for young people. Uh, as Supervisor Melgar mentioned early in her early remarks, um, social media is playing such a crucial role in this uptick in violence. And so we plan to create a social media monitoring task force. Um, essentially, this is, um, you can think of it as a, uh, as a, as a, e-interrupter instead of violence interrupters. So these are people who are going to be monitoring social media, monitoring you know, the WeChats and the Instagrams and all those other things um, to make sure that we um, are able to respond um, uh, at a faster rate to incidences that um, can, can spread very quickly. 
And then finally, we continue to partner with the Human Rights Commission and, of course, the mayor's office on key initiatives um, throughout the city, like the Human Rights Commission's um, Love and Joy campaign, as well as our citywide summer violence prevention planning process. Um, and I believe that concludes my, my um, presentation. Next slide, please. Thank you so, um, so much. So that concludes my presentation. Thank you so much, Director Sue. So I, um, the, the hour is late and there's an event starting outside in the rotunda which promises to be real loud. So um, uh, we have our two main uh, presenters that have spoken. Uh, we do have folks here from HRC, from our police department, from Muni. Um, so I'm gonna just turn it over to you all to ask questions about you what you just heard. Um, it could be of the presenters or of the folks who are here uh, and then we will take public comment if that's okay chair okay uh, commissioner Adi. thank you um, I had a question which is how are you ensuring that schools are commuting to communicating to students the rules and consequences surrounding student conduct and also the services that are available for students who are struggling I, I think that may be a, a question for mr. Guthards if <laughs> Would you mind repeating the question? Yes. Uh, How are you ensuring that schools are communicating to students the rules and consequences yeah. surrounding student conduct and also communicating the services available for youth who are struggling? Yeah, great. So I think number one, um, and thank you for allowing me to, to speak, um, that we do have a, a universal student-wide uh, schools uh, handbook. So there's a student handbook with, with all the policies in there, and it's on the, online and, and whatnot, so students know across the, the district and can have access to that in terms of sort of what are expectations. So, for example, what happens if you brought a gun to school, right? And there are very specific rules that we have to follow that are board, board of ed policy and state uh, uh, Department of Education policy as well. That gets communicated, uh, you know, universally through the handbook, but individually at school sites. And so uh, at the beginning of the school year, principals and, and staff bring the students together and go over the rules and expectations. Many, many, many of our schools have something called PBIS, where really they're talking about things like safe, respectful, responsible. And so what does safe look like? What does responsible look like? What does respectful look like? And so there's lots of ways that schools are getting the mess, students are getting messaging around expectations. And then I think a lot of the youth leadership programs, I know that I'm particularly focused on peer resources is one of the uh, programs I work with, uh, do a lot of mediations and a lot of um, conflict mediations and also a lot of messaging around what, what's expected and how to build community. I think in addition to that, beyond the consequences, it's really around a sense of belonging, right? So how do we build that? at all of our school sites so when students walk in, they feel safe, they feel loved, they feel nurtured. And I do believe that we are working collectively to have that happen at, at all of our school sites. It's different from different sites, um, but that is a big focus area for us. And then in terms of where can you go when you need help, right? I think that's the second part of your question. So all of the high schools have wellness centers and many of our middle schools have wellness centers as well. So we do know that we have seen an increase, a huge increase really, in the access to the wellness centers uh, uh, from students, both for mental health services, for, 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 for life issues, for, for groups, for things like that. Um, the way that they find out about that is multifold, right? They can find out about it by um, 
their advisory classes or from their teachers or from referrals that their teachers may offer. There's lots and lots of messaging around all of the schools around where you can go for help and for support. Um, we have uh, the, the, the uh, CCT, our, 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 our culture and climate teams, or our care teams that meet collectively every week to talk about student support and actually reach out to students when they're struggling. And so, hey, would you, would you want this referral? Do you need help? And reaching out to families as well. So there's, there's just whole variety of channels to make sure that students know that there, uh, that there are uh, people that care about them in the building. And one of our major goals in Essence Unified is to make sure that every student not only has a sense of belonging, but has a sense that there is a caring adult in that building that will be there for them. Uh, th Should I chair, stay nearby, maybe? If, if I may, just for a moment, through the chair, for the integrity of our record, can I ask the speaker to identify themselves? Of course. My name is Eric Guthertz, and I am one of the directors for high schools for San Francisco Unified School District. Thank you very much. Thank you. Are you done, Commissioner? Yes, great. Um, Commissioner Baker Plummer. Thank you, Chair Ronan. And I'd like to thank Supervisor Melgoff for um, calling this important hearing. Uh, this is an issue that affects all young people in San Francisco. Um, and I think needs to be a consistent conversation we're having here in City Hall and with SFUSD um, on these issues. So I wanted to turn to um, the prevention efforts that SFUSD can implement. Um, the, uh, a little over a year ago, the Youth Commission passed a resolution calling for the school district to send home safe storage information to all uh, students. Uh, state law has since changed that requires the district to do that. Um, I know that the district has included it in some communications, some newsletters, but I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we can have a more concrete way to communicate safe storage information with, um, with families. So I'm wondering um, if we can, if I can ask sort of what the status of that is with SFUSD um, and other, and generally other preventative measures to stop guns from getting on campus in the first place and keeping our school sites safe. Good evening, commissioners, Chair Ronan, Vice Chair Safai, and Supervisor Melgar. My name is Hongmei Peng. I'm the head of communications and external affairs at SFUSD. Um, and thank you so much for your question, Commissioner. I, we've, we've been in dialogue with you and um, your fellow commissioners about, I think, ways that we are able to, A, be able to effectively communicate um, important information as it relates to um, whether if it's our efforts district-wide to be able to ensure we are enacting preventative measure to educate our community about um, gun violence prevention, all the way to being able to advise and also shed light on information related to campus security measures, whether if it's the progress of our um, locks at installations, all the way to the efforts towards assessing school sites uh, for security cameras, locks, et cetera. We, we've also presented in writing um, a lot of that information. Um, in terms of being being able to engage in communication with our student uh, body, there are several different district-wide channels that complement the work that is happening at the school site. Like Mr. Guthers had mentioned, so much of it is based on the relationships and the school culture and climate um, that facilitates mo more effective uh, information sharing between trusted adults and students and also among 
students themselves. Um, but in addition to what is occurring at the school sites, um, the district communications office, we facilitate information sharing through several district-wide channels aimed at students. Um, there is a high school student newsletter that is uh, monthly in circulation where we share information with high school students ranging from um, news you can use. So these are resources, information that um, you know could be an opportunity, whether if it's scholarship, all the way to um, you know information that would facilitate a student sense of belonging, um, uh, uh, an ability to sort of better effectively participate in student advisory activities. Um, and so we, we are always looking for uh, feedback and, and to be able to really feature and center student voice and agency. In addition to that, we also know that families need information to be able to effectively partner. Um, and to that effect, there are several district-wide channels aimed specifically towards that that are translated into seven um, different non uh, SFUSD languages, including English. Um, and also, um, there are circulations that occur on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, aimed at more effectively sharing information with our families. Thank you. Um, I would just say, you know, we've been having a lot of conversations, and I hope um, through that collaboration we'll soon see some action on these issues. Um, I wanted to turn to uh, DCYF and our city partners to see um, how we are measuring the um, effectiveness of these programs, especially looking at, you know, violence intervention uh, or violence interrupters, the funding that we're spending training um, RPD staff and SFMTA staff, um, just to see, you know, how we're measuring how effective this is and how we use that information looking forward um, on how we're going to adjust these trainings, how we're going to um, change our approach. Uh, thank you, Commissioner. Excellent questions. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to also just say that I greatly appreciate um, that the Youth Commission is here in this joint uh, meeting. It's just been so amazing. Um, so thank you so much for that question. Um, and and I will say that so DCYF does have um, performance measures that we will. I am more than happy to share with you. We work with a third party evaluator for. Um, for all uh, to evaluate uh, the effectiveness of all of our grants, particularly grants within our justice portfolio. Um, and moving forward, we are actually working and partnering with the juvenile probation department, um, Chief Miller's in the room, I believe, um, as well as um, having conversations with our CBO partners around um, how to evaluate effectiveness. It's one of those, um, it's one of those things where you want to evaluate something that you prevented. And that's really hard. Um, so we have to work with key experts on trying to figure out what are the formulas um, on how do we tell that story that because of these pieces coming together, um, we, were, we were able to prevent a certain incident from happening or a certain result from happening. Um, so I am more than happy to share with you the current performance measures that we have um, for this effort. But I'm actually more excited if uh, to join you in thinking about how we produce even the future um, performance measures as we expand and develop this work further. Uh, thank you both um, for your answers. And yes, please, uh, I look forward to seeing the, the um, uh, 
the metrics that are used, as well as um, looking to see how we can update those looking forward. I also think it would be great to see um, how we can incorporate youth voice in those processes, making sure that the people who are using those nonprofit services um, are really being heard and seeing how they feel about it as well. Um, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Loftus. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Uh, I would just like to echo my fellow commissioners in saying that this is an issue that doesn't just impact our districts, it impacts us as youth in San Francisco. Um, I needed a letter from the clerk of the Youth Commission to get to this hearing on time because I go to Lowell, which is under a strict closed campus policy where students aren't allowed out until 3.40. So I had two questions. One is a little bit similar to Commissioner Barker Plummer. Uh, the first one was something that has been mentioned a lot, rightly, is uh, the impact of the pandemic and distance learning on mental health. And I was wondering if anyone, any of the presenters, uh, knew if there was any outreach on the specific factors that have led to this increase in violence, if it was the lack of structure, the lack of peer socialization, or factors related to the pandemic, like parental unemployment, like what specifically harmed these youth's mental health with the hope of maybe filling those gaps? Director Sue, I think this one's for you. <laughs> uh, thank you, Commissioner Loftus. Um, I, you know, so so what I've what I personally feel as once again a person that's trained in child psychology, I personally know that when we isolate social humans, um, it causes great trauma to people particularly children who are social beings by nature. Um, and during the pandemic, of course, we all had to isolate. Um, but the impact of that means that young people did not have the opportunity to engage in safe disputes, safe arguments, or moderated disagreements with people. So for example, if a young person was having a disagreement with their, their peers in class, the teacher most likely would say, well, hold on, let's try to figure out what's going on. It sounds like you're upset. Do you want to sit down? Do you want to calm down? Do you want to take some breathing sessions? Or um, let's sit down and, and, and uh, try to do some conflict mediation with the person you're having an issue with. Unfortunately, when we isolate these young people um, during the pandemic, that didn't, that, that, that didn't happen. Um, and it didn't happen in a setting where it was normalized to take that break, to then have those opportunities to discuss and to work through those feelings. Um, as such, what we're seeing now are young people who haven't developed those self-regulating skills um, acting out in ways that they think they need to. Um, so what we need to do now is create, and this is why the Violence Interrupter Initiative is, is helpful, um, as well as partnering with other city partners. Um, we have to create um, almost a, a way for young people to see immediately the impact that they're making and stop it, but then also create a safe environment for them to work through um, all of those feelings that they have. Um, I believe that that is part one of the reasons why we see such young people acting out in this way, because they didn't have that structure um, to work through any of these um, emotions. Um, so that's one one hypothesis. 
Um, the other is just um, we now we're we're now all back in person, <laughs> and and people are now gathering more, and so there's now more opportunities to be together, and so therefore there's more opportunities to have disagreements with each other. Commissioner uh, Loftus, I just I also see um, our director of HRC, uh, Dr. Davis. I don't know if she wanted to also respond to the question. I saw her popping up. Yes, thank you, um, Supervisor Milgar. I just wanted to say part of what we've been um, working on within the Human Rights Commission is because there's been extensive um, research just in terms of the pandemic kind of yielding people feeling hope hopeless and that one of the main things that happened in the isolation, just to build on what um, Director Sue said, is that there was a sense of hopelessness and that um, that hopelessness led and was built on this idea that after the pandemic, that it just doesn't matter what you do and that there's a sense of disconnect. And part of what we have to do is to rebuild community and the intentionality around valuing and um, supporting young people is important. But the other piece is to remember and to understand that um, who was hardest hit by the pandemic were already folks who were experiencing higher levels of trauma or higher levels of um, hopelessness already, just in terms of systems response to them and all of that. And so part of what we need to be doing is um, if we're looking at the work of folks like Jeff Duncan Andrade is talking about how do we build hope and that it has been also talked about that there hope is a learned skill and that we have to be intentional about that. So some of this is about how do we move beyond what um, folks have referred to as hokey hope or mythical hope or um, hope deferred and being very intentional about how we make sure that young people understand that things will be challenging, but they can get better. And hopelessness says that things won't get any better, so I might as well just blow up and that we really need to instill a sense that, you know, things are not going to all be run by AI or that even if they are, folks will still have their needs met. So there's a lot to be done to bring back a sense of hope to our um, young people. Uh, thank you for that insight. That contextualizes a lot, actually. I have um, kind of a follow-up question. Um, sort of related to Commissioner Barker Plummer's question about the uh, school violence interrupters. This question would purely anecdotal, so it's okay if you can't answer it, but um, I was wondering if there was any idea of how the school violence interrupters are meshing with the schools. Um, when you mentioned uh, the social media monitoring program, I think everyone in this hearing can look at the big picture and understand that schools need to be safe, students need to be safe, but if you're a 12-year-old and you hear that the government is looking at your social media, that just maybe not won't facilitate the best kind of relationships so i was wondering i was just wondering um how how that has been playing out we have I'm, I'm happy to answer that question or, or part of that question again uh, eric Uthert's high school director so i get the fortune of working with the school violence interrupters every week um and in fact i'm on speed dial with sort of the, one of the ones that leads the work chico wells and i i cannot actually thank him enough for his partnership and i actually want to thank Simone here and, and all of DCOIF, we, we meet twice weekly to coordinate a lot of this work and to work with and train and support the violence interrupters. Number one, we hire for folks that are going to be um, connected to students that are from the community, that, that know uh, what's going on, that keep their ear to the ground, 
but also are very deeply empathetic and can build those really great relationships. So I, I think a huge bright spot here is, in fact, our violence interrupters because they have uniformly been very um, thoughtful and, and uh, caring in their work with students, but also um, purposeful. And so it's not just that they're meeting one-on-one, -on -one. they might meet in groups, they're leading mediations, restorative conversations, they're meeting with family members. We're looking at the whole student and the whole family. So it's, it's, it's about that relationship, about trying to interrupt the violence or the, the fight or, or whatever happening uh, in that moment, but also trying to see what the root causes are, right? And I think that kind of came up to your last question. So thinking about, well, does the family need food? Does the family need housing? And so the violence interrupters are able to be our conduit to let us know what we need and how we can move forward with that. Um, and they are now building deeper relationships at the school sites with the principals, with the teachers, and, and whatnot. Um, weekly, when we meet with the violence interrupters, we're literally talking about specific incidents and then who's doing what follow-up. And then the next week, we say, well, how did that follow-up go? So there's sort of embedded training and ongoing um, uh, uh, following and tracking of, of those incidents uh, with the violence interrupters being our core supports. Yeah, thank you. That sounds great. Thank you, and um, Supervisor Melgar forgot to mention that we have DPH here in the room as well, and I just, in case there's any questions, for Dr. Farah Faramund, <laughs> who's the Director of Children, Youth, and Family System of Care in Behavioral Health Services. So just in case there's questions for DPH, thank you so much for being here. Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Um, really appreciate all the testimony so far and all the wonderful questions from the commissioners. Um, my question is for SFUSD in particular. Um, is Dr. Wayne still here? He bounced. Okay. Uh, oh, Hung Mei's here. Um, I, they um, they did a they put up slides that talked about the response and staff you have in place. I, I, I guess my question in particular is: Do you have someone dedicated on staff for emergency response and emergency preparedness? A dedicated position. That is a fantastic question, Supervisor. Not only do we have somebody who's dedicated staffing, he's actually here today. I, I like to introduce. Director Gregory Markwith, uh, he's the Director of Emergency Preparedness and Readiness at the school district who oversees um, emergency operations um, whenever there is an incident. And in addition to that, work very diligently with school sites uh, to prepare across you know, the entire year um, in, in the event um, that there is an incident. We want to be ready and we want to be prepared. Great. Oh, that's wonderful. Good to hear. Um, and is that role designed then also to get information out? Um, we talked a little bit about the, at least the incident in, in my district and a lot of concern from parents getting a kind of a form letter of response that wasn't really clear on what was happening. Um, it was more like this incident happened, we will be following up. And so it, it's more about, and, and then also our office was not contacted. I mean, we had to reach out to you all and I understand you're going through different protocols. So I, I would just say, you know, people don't really differentiate between members of the board of supervisors in terms of school board, and they don't really see the delineation. They, they see if there's something in their district and there's something that happened in their district, they're calling our offices no matter what. And so without information, we're not able to really um, respond effectively. Uh, so um, I'm glad to know that that position exists. And I would just say, 
it would be really important to then communicate uh, effectively with our offices um, and maybe I could hear a little bit more about what the position does other than just emergency preparedness. Are they coordinating with community members? Are they talking to community-based organizations? Are they working with violence prevention you know, work? Are they contacting the police department in case there's a need or Department of Emergency Management? All of that. Um, yes, thank you, Supervisor. I, I, before turning it over to Mr. Markwith, I, I did want to clarify that as part of our emergency response work, because we are built on the National Incident Management System, NIMS, as the framework for how we address emergency operations concurrently and parallel, um, our office, the communications office, also handles um, emergency communication. So I really do appreciate your feedback around needing to improve um, and I think strengthen our communication to make sure that, you know, um, the constituents who might be reaching out to your office are able to receive information in a timely and accurate manner. And um, we are very committed to making sure that we are taking proactive measures to be able to do that. Um, and you know, uh, we work very closely together, the communications office with the Office of Emergency Preparedness um, and Readiness. Uh, so at the onset of an incident, um, we would convene, uh, Greg convenes an emergency operations center at the same time, a joint information sort of um, system gets also activated at which would be sort of held by the communications office. We then um, deploy and reshuffle our priorities for the day to be able to really address and be able to respond. This includes, uh, you know, communicating, gathering information from multiple stakeholders from the ground at the school site, all the way to uh, being able to kind of triage and um, connect with um, our external partners, um, whether if it's city agencies uh, or um, you know, our, our stakeholders uh, alike. And so we really want to make sure that information is accurate um, and we want to be able to put out information as they become available. Um, and, and, you know, we, we also want to make sure that we are not crossing wires and, and to be able to kind of really um, be in coordination with especially our partners um, who might be conducting the investigation. I'm going to invite Mr. Markworth to join me at the podium to speak a little bit about his work, if, if that would be um, of interest. Please, just briefly. I know we have a lot of people that want to testify and... and Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, Supervisor uh, Safi, could, is there a, a sort of, based on what Hong Mei said, is there something else you'd like me to speak to specifically? No, I just briefly just kind of talk about you know, the, your role. I'm, it's the first I've heard of it. I didn't even know it existed. Sure, yeah, it's existed for a while. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I, my, actually my position resides in the facilities division. Um, but um, to start this year in the fall, what we did really focus on as Hong Main uh, sort of named, was really started uh, sort of our internal um, coordination and how we sort of communicate internally, internally in, in service of best supporting the schools. Um, and as Hong Main uh, mentioned, when something does occur, we come together in a virtual EOC, in a G-chat essentially. And as the EOC director, we have an incident commander, which is generally the school site leader, um, supported by their lead, uh, which is the vision that supports the schools. Um, and so in response to that incident, uh, my job is to make sure that all the um, resources are coordinated, everybody's in place, everybody's sort of organized in support of the school site, 
Um, that includes student nutrition services, that includes transportation, that includes buildings and grounds, um, and really, uh, you know, in service of making sure all the communication is aligned. Because what we noticed in the fall when I came together with the comms division um, is that a lot of times when things, uh, I would say, um, sort of get a little convoluted or we're not able to provide the support to school sites as quickly as possible is when the message does get frayed. Um, or there are different messages, go messages going out. And so it really, to start the fall, we really focused on making sure the comms, uh, the comms team um, and myself um, were on the same page and that we did create this system in order to best support the schools. Um, one thing that was mentioned previously, um, something that I'm responsible for, is making sure that all the school sites have completed their comprehensive school site safety plans. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, and being available to the school sites in order to support them creating the plans or doing the drills or making sure that they have the resources necessary in order to plan. Because it's one thing, you know, to have a plan, but it's also something to practice. And it's not something that sits on a shelf. It's something you have to practice all the time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate I, it. I, I, I'm going to um, ask that we hold uh, more questions and open public comment because we have lion dancers that are going to be very loud that are starting in 20 minutes. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And I want to make sure we can hear as many of our public commenters as possible. But um, we can get back to if there's if we can hear each other, we'll get back to more commissioner comments at the end. Um, if we can now open up this item for public comment. Thank you. Very good. Do we have anyone here in the chamber who wants to provide public comment on agenda item number two? If so, please line up quickly on the west wall, the curtain wall of this room. I'm pointing it out with my left hand. And then folks who are listening to our meeting remotely, if you wish to speak on this item, please dial star three and that will add you to the queue. Please come forward to the lectern and I will start your time. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners and supervisors. I'm Andrea. I am a di organizing director with Coleman Advocates, and I particularly work with WIMAC leading when we are in the high schools all around SFUSD. So I'm here in speaking for them. We've done a lot of listening sessions with the different high school students throughout the district. And to be completely honest, right, most of them, when we're talking about safety, police is not the answer, right? A lot of them didn't even feel safe coming here today, knowing that the police would be here, or police commissioners and things like that, right? So, and for them, safety, right, doesn't mean police, right? When we spoke about it, uh, most of them were saying when they feel, when they see police around, they actually don't feel safer, right? So I think taking into consideration the youth perspective of what safety means to them is key and I urge you to implement like youth voices into these processes right and listening to the youth that are actually being impacted what they need right and what they need right are like a lot of them said they need jobs right jobs that are available right now right money housing, basic needs, right? And a lot of them have to work to support family members and come from single family homes or have a lot of siblings, right? And they need to support and they need more, right? Than just uh, people watching them and police and the surveillance, right? So I urge you to continue to work with us, community partners, right? And bringing the youth perspective into these conversations and finding ways maybe even outside of this to bring those voices in, right? We're here, our young people want to uh, be included in these conversations in a safe environment where they could come together. So I urge you, and I'm here, yeah, in representing youth of SFUSD. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea, for sharing your comments. Can we get the next speaker, please? <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to hear from you one at a time. All right, please begin. Come on, Alex. Um, right in the microphone, please. Fast. Um, 
how can we make schools safer without police being involved in the schools, inside the schools? Thank you. Thank we'll start you. the time for the next speaker. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Jose Luis Tacuma here with Coleman Advocates for Children and Youth. Um, I will just be very direct and straight up. I know, Maria, you're on here um, and, a, and other departments. Um, it is super concerning to hear that the DA and SFPD is considered a partner, as well as the Juvenile Probation Department, as a partner in policy development um, for planning um, further policy planning. And we know that already, and I'll speak both as an organizer, but as someone that has been working in violence prevention and intervention for years in my community, uh, the bringing in of the violence prevention strategy into the mayor's office has only hurt our community, right? And we want to be clear, right, that it does not serve our community for any of our CBOs to be partnering with the police, to be partnering with the juvenile probation department, to be partnering with the DA. Um, we are here to dismantle the school to prison pipeline. And um, the DA, the police, right, are key partners in the um, continuation of that pipeline, right? And we want to make sure that they are not at all at the table, right, in the planning for keeping our communities safe. They're a threat. They have been a part of what keeps our communities unsafe. Um, and we want to make that clear, right? Uh, young people aren't even here, right, because of that, right? And so please, like, we want to uh, meet with you all to make sure that we can follow up on this and make sure that when there is crisis, right, it is a public health response. Violence is a public health issue. And I'll underline, bold that, right? And I have not heard that mentioned today. Thank you, Jose Luis Mejia, for sharing your comments. Can we get the next speaker, please? Good evening. Um, my name is Leslie Hu. I'm not necessarily talking in my official capacity, but I spent seven years as a school social worker, eight years as a school social worker and seven years as a community school coordinator. And um, I do want to say that last year was probably the hardest year of my career because it was really hard for me to see sort of what our young people were really struggling with. But I really want to challenge us to kind of think about sort of what what was, was said earlier that, that we don't want to pathologize our young people by saying, automatically assuming that they all have mental health issues, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that it's a, re, a potential reaction to what we're seeing societally. How are we all responding and reacting to what the pandemic has done to us? How are we responding to poverty? How are we respond, how are our young people responding um, to institutional racism? And so when we think about examining the root cause causes, like Eric was saying, around sort of this institutional things and what it's doing to our young people. How can we attack the systems and structures in which our young people have to live in rather than thinking about over-criminalizing our young people or thinking that those are sort of the solutions and thinking that punishment is the solution when we actually really want to think about the systems, how our young people can thrive and grow and how to build the connections that they need to, whether it's school, their community at school, whether they're teachers, their peers, but also to their own communities in their neighborhoods, to their families, to their community, to their faith. And so how do we begin to really build those connections and look at societal issues rather than pathologizing our young people? Thank you, Leslie Hu, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good evening, everyone. My name is Nancy Juarez. I'm with the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice. I'm a policy analyst with them. 
And I just want to uplift that this generation of young folks, yes, of course, we have those media stories, those cherry-picked media stories, but young people are thriving. You know, young people are not in the system across the state, whether you're in a red county or a blue county. Youth crime trends are at an all-time low. Our juvenile halls are empty. San Francisco's juvenile hall was set to close. Young people aren't being referred to probation anymore. So I really just want to uplift. I know that we're here, to, we're talking about this incident, and that's what's portrayed in the media, but young people are thriving. You know, so I want to uplift that. Um, I want to uplift the truth because that's what the data says, right? Regardless of what the media wants to spin, that's what the data says. Um, one last thing is the mall. The mall is a safe zone, right? Like as a young person, we go to the mall. That's safety. That's you go and you chill with your friends. There's not that many places that young people can do that at. You know what I mean? And, and then you turn of age and then you start drinking and those are the spaces. But we need more sp safe spaces for young people and those are cop-free zones. You know, I'm, when I hear that the mall is going to have more patrol, more police presence, that's not safety. Um, so I just urge us to think of solutions. We have folks from the community here that are ready to talk about solutions, youth that are ready to talk about solutions. So I just encourage us to ask them, ask them for the answers. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy Juarez, for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Hi, good evening again, uh, Dr. Angela Gallegos-Castillo, and concur with the last two speakers, everything they said. and. I think we have an opportunity here. I hope it's not missed by folks. We've got a community school process happening, prevention, right? And then identify the models that work with specific communities. So just in speaking with, for the Latino community, we have the promotor model, right? We have, um, which is the best practice known to support health overall in a holistic manner. So let's think about how to get the Department of Public Health working with the school district and cross those silos. Um, also, San Francisco is so resource rich and we know we have wonderful programs, we do, right? How is that information not getting, how is it getting to the parents? I know we have communication systems, we have strategies, but people, parents still don't know what's available to them in their neighborhoods. How can we do a better job at the school sites and in the neighborhoods to get communication more out and continue as we do already, expand more investment into prevention programs Youth leadership, we know that works, safe havens, and a crucial issue right now for youth is substance use. We don't have a residential treatment program. We need more substance use counselors for intervention and treatment. We have to, for Roadmap to Peace, sometimes we have to take them out of county. So I urge you to continue expanding prevention, early intervention, but please, uh, substance use uh, treatment and services is such, so underfunded. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments, Dr. Castillo. Can we hear from the next speaker, please? And before we hear from that speaker, I'd like to, of course, invite anybody else who wants to join the public comment line to please line up along the left wall. Please begin. Hi, folks. Uh, my name is Lily. I am the Director of Community Engagement at Tawame School. Um, we are the lead agency for the District 4 Youth and Families Network. Um, so really happy to be here today to talk about what our community needs. 
Um, I also want to recognize all the young folks that came up and talked to y'all about not wanting police. Um, I think it's very easy as legislators to add more money and support the police because it's a nice photo op for you, right? You can take a photo, let folks know that something happened. The real investment um, is the long-term investment in organ community-based organizations that address these types of issues all the time. When you're talking about conflict mediation, when you're talking about disrupting um, situations, you're already too far gone. There's already an incident happening, and those solutions are still not addressing the root causes of these issues. As CBOs, as service providers, we know that our young people need more than ever. Um, we know that the pandemic has been hard for everybody, let alone young folks that are developing um, their thought processes, their growth, all of that. Um, and we would urge you to just invest back in our CBOs. They're proven that we can help disrupt these violence in a long-term way. You're not gonna get a photo op, you're not gonna get it all pretty. You get some pictures with kids who are always cute. Um, but, you know, like this is an investment in our young folks, right? Long term, it's not going to be easy, but that is how you invest in our CBOs, in our service providers, in getting us staff that we can retain, um, that we can pay them better than if they went to Target to work. Um, because these folks have a commitment, they have the heart for these young folks, and you know we want to see them thrive. And you're not going to get that um, by just uh, penalizing them. Thank you, Lily, for providing your comments. Can we get the next speaker, please? How y'all doing? So I'm on, here on behalf of Coleman Advocates. Um, skip my intro, but uh, yeah, you know, I think about like the reality, right, of an individual within a city. And uh, tonight, for example, our youth, and when I say our youth and I say kids, right, I can't speak to every youth and every kid because I grew up in a certain type of community, a certain type of neighborhood that speaks truth to certain youth that tonight, right, might be worried about, you know what I mean, just being outside, going home, and, and things of that nature, and, and, and they don't see the police as their saviors, right? So that's a reality that, you know, I grew up, grew up with, and I'm in my 30s now. Right. Um, so with that being said, the answers to um, the questions, I feel like are in our community, right, not outside of it. And I feel like the police is a lot of them are coming from the outside. Even their experiences don't come from the streets. And I do see some of our community members start to get enrolled in a police department, but with the mentality of an extremist, right? Like you have to have an extremist mentality to be a part of the department and y'all know that. So thus, you know, the CBOs and the alternative solutions um, that are hard for, I think, you know, politicians to swallow because, right, it's like if we have our solutions, then what's y'all job? So the thing about it is if you want to work with the realities of what I'm, you know, what I'm speaking to, like tomorrow, like y'all could wake up in your nice, fancy homes, but most of San Francisco youth, right, that are in the projects, Bayview is the biggest district in the city. And they come out and they, they live and they have to experience something way different from what y'all experience every day, every night. You know, even me, you know, uh, going through what I went through, I, I, you know, I'll be in the, the pipeline is one thing, but I still live with those traumas. You feel me? So with that being said, it's like, you know, I, you know, someone like we don't have the privilege to come outside of that in spirit and play politic and play, play. You know what I mean? These things we, we're asking you all to invest in our CBOs because, you know, we are really live. We are losing sleep over this type of stuff. You feel me? So that's all I got to say.
Thank you for your comments. Do we have anyone further in the chamber who wants to provide public comment on agenda item number two? Let's turn our attention to the three callers in the remote queue who have indicated they wish to speak. Can we get the first caller, please? Hi, my name is Susan Karasas, a District 2 resident in the Yikwu Elementary School and Francisco Middle School community. I appreciate the thought that you've given to the variety of emergencies that schools and students in our community may experience and to the preparations that you already have in place. I strongly agree with the prior public comments and emphasize violence is a public health issue and access to free public spaces for children and families to congregate and recreate free of police and robotic surveillance is vital for individual and community health and growth. Our kids are hurting now. Middle school students have elementary school siblings and those elementary school students are terrified. What ways can schools get access to additional mental health support now, please? How do we get access to the opportunity funds immediately, please? Social media's business model promotes anxiety, self-harm, and violent conduct in users because those feelings focus attention and time on social media's websites. Artificial intelligence business models seem to have even fewer pro-social values. San Francisco cannot fix social media or artificial intelligence, but we can find ways to support students and family mental health now. Thank you for your attention. My comments are complete. Thank you. For Thank you for sharing your comments. Can we get the next speaker, please? You're muted. Hi there. Um, my name is Ilsa Lund, and I work for Larkin Services. Uh, first, of course, I want to thank DCYF and the school district, Supervisor Melgar, and everyone who uh, worked to create this space to, to have this really important discussion tonight. Um, I really want to lift up what one of the speakers said earlier about um, what's at the root and the cause of this crisis that we're seeing right now. It's about hopelessness. And I urge decision makers to really remember that as you think about interventions and most importantly, prevention efforts. Who are the young people experiencing the most acute feelings of hopelessness right now? And what are they in, and where are they in the discussions that we're having here tonight? I'm really concerned about the young people we're not talking about those who are out of school, either because they have aged out or dropped out, how are we centering these young people who may be at the greatest risk of being exposed to violence? We need to think creatively and expansively about what these young people need. We need to double down on robust services in housing programs. We need to think about secondary education connections for this group of young people. We need to really think about workforce development for minors and young adults who are disconnected from education. We know that there is a strong correlation between truancy and non-completion of high school with exposure to violence, and it's a high future indicator of poverty, homelessness, and other extreme challenges. Please make sure that you're thinking broadly about the young people who our systems are failing and the traumas that they are living with uh, so that we can make sure that we're also working to keep them safe. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Is there a caller on the line? I understand we have three callers still waiting to provide their comments. Perhaps it's an unattended line. We can come back around to it. Caller, please begin. 
Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you guys for having this session. Um, thank you as well for taking my phone call. Um, and I do apologize for not being there in person. I would like to introduce myself both as a parent um, of the San Francisco Unified School District, native of San Francisco, but as well as um, a CJCJ, the Center for Juvenile and Criminal Justice Employee. So I do see both sides. I want to thank all of my co-parts um, that are there advocating, Coleman Advocates and Nancy as well, and everyone else. And I want to implore everyone there that are adults, that are professionals in our business, to look at the clear view of where we're going. When you look at who we're relying on, who's at the top of the list? The Juvenile Probation Department, the San Francisco Police Department, those entities don't advocate. Those entities aren't set up to advocate. Those entities are there to oppress. And let's not get those two confused. And as a parent of a low child, I saw afterwards as well as was there on that Friday at Stonestown Mall. And I interacted with the police who refused to interact with the children, who took a step back and stood across the street. And while we all knew days before because of social media that certain things were happening, we as adults, the professionals in the room, decided not to do anything and leave the CBOs and the advocates out when we could have been frontline. But instead, as a parent, I'm watching the police on dirt bikes in dirt roads coming from Lowell, sitting there, waiting days Speaker later for what? The children? Thank you so much for sharing your comments. I'm sorry that we have to cut you off. We have reached the two-minute limit for the comments. We need to move on to the next speaker. I understand we still have two folks. Could we be connected to the next speaker, please? Hello. My name is Lawrence Lee, and I really appreciate uh, this this meeting and uh, all, the, all the comments of all the work that's being put into this effort. Um, I put in an opinion piece to the examiner soon after the multiple incidents, and it's beyond Stonestown, it's beyond guns, it's knives in schools and buses that I have heard personally and from other people that parents and educators are concerned about. As we think about mental health of so many individuals, for sure, considering all the thoughts of parents and educators as, as they have, have to deal with this uh, and the potential for that going forward is something that's top of mind to so many people because people respond to the environment. And, and I've heard it's tragic, but some people can't find a way to, to continue and are quitting. And I'd rather not happen. I would love for the school district to have increasing enrollment and safety is, is central. So please consider the whole picture as we, we try to make a path forward. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Let's return to our previously unattended line and see if they're there. Hi there. Sorry Hi, for uh, missing earlier. Uh, oh, hello? Yes, please begin. So, uh, cool. Uh, 
Hi there, my name is Julissa Tower Chan, and I'm a program supervisor at the Community Center of San Francisco. Um, one of the programs that I work on is called the District 7 Youth Council, which promotes high school student civic engagement in and around District 7, um, as well as, oh, like, honestly, the, the whole city here. Um, and I'm here to uplift some youth voices. And so in last year's program, the council members that I was working with wrote a resolution and presented as a youth commission uh, calling for increased mental health services throughout SFUSD. Um, after reviewing that resolution, the SFUSD commission passed it unanimously. Um, and so speaking today, I wanted to provide a little bit of context into why they chose this project in the first place. Um, so after school returns to in-person post-pandemic, um, students that I was working with at the time noticed that they were experiencing increased mental health challenges. Um, and you know, these are attributed to many factors, including anti-Asian violence, um, increased uh, housing and food insecurity among families, and you know, a lot of the systemic violences that came to the forefront during people's lives due to the pandemic. Um, so alongside these mental health challenges, um, the students I worked with experienced limited resources at school wellness centers, um, uh, which led wellness centers at several schools to limit the amount of time students were allowed to stay in those centers, including like, like up to like 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and so um, I know that the, the you know, uh, folks here are interested in extending those resources, and I would really urge um, you all uh, to do that. Um, and that, you know, uh, really coming from, from the youth that I've been working with as well. Um, uh, let's see. Um, then the last thing I want to say as well is for, for the resolution um, that the youth council passed, they also were talking a little bit about um, how to provide mental health services in a way that was not led to criminalization. Um, and didn't rely on police or, or kind of police-related entities uh, to provide those services. Um, and so I just wanted to uplift young people in San Francisco uh, sharing those thoughts as well. Um, I know we're hearing from, from a variety of people today, um, and so I wanted to bring those questions to the room. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee and the Youth Commission Committee. Just delaying for a moment to see if we have any further callers in the queue. I believe that that was the last caller. And... There are no further callers, Madam Chair. Public comment is now closed. The line dancers did start, but luckily we can hear each other still. So I wanted to um, hear from the last commissioners um, and their public comments. Commissioner Hum. Thank you, Chair Ronan. As you know, the internet and social media is a very large entity and is widely used by many. There are thousands of SFUSD students on different platforms, group chats, pages, messages, and profiles. I would like to argue that almost every high schooler, if not every middle schooler today, has some form of social media. Some accounts are even set to private so that others in the public cannot see. How will the Social Media Monitoring Task Force address this? Is this for Maria Sue, maybe, to hear more about the, the social media task force? Yes, and I just took a bite of a cookie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you so much, um, Commissioner, for the question. Um, this is why we didn't just put any more description to it. It was just, it's, it's one of the, it's in planning phase. It's an idea. We do know that there needs to be some type of support around social media. Um, and so um, we don't have, I don't have more clarity around what this would look like, but um, as I offered to the other commissioners, maybe what we need to do is sit down and, and have a conversation with members of the Youth Commission and other members and other young people 
around what this this project would look like. I'm just just point of privilege wondering, Commissioner Hummer, any of the youth commissioners, do you have any thoughts about what it should look like? Ruminate on that question while I, I um, call on Commissioner Pimentel. So I just want to echo what was said in the room, that we really need to center the voices of young people who are impacted and how critical it is that we come together to address this issue and find ways to better support our youth. So my <laughs> question is actually, how has SFUSD and DCYF um, are they like receiving or gathering feedback from students, from schools, or youth, from organizations on the structure of the interdepartmental response plans underway to expand violence prevention programming and mental health resources to, stra to straighten these programs? If so, what has been done so far to implement those voices in order to continue working within, with our community and implement youth voices on how these programs are administered? That was a long, <laughs> thank you. I see Eric coming to the mic. I think he is poised to answer this. Um, I think, yeah, Hung Mi and, and I will tag team. So uh, a couple things around how we're getting youth voice involved in, in, in the work. One really important one for high schools is we just finished what's called the high school task force focus groups. And we literally interviewed it's hundreds, I, I can't even know this, it may be in the actually low thousands, students at every single high school. So there's high school specific, and there were lots of questions. Some of them were on academics, some were on college counseling, but some were actually around community development and, and, and um, uh, issues of safety and things like that. And so we actually have gathered quite a few folks on that um, for those focus groups, and we've shared that with the task force. And the task force includes community members, uh, teachers, uh, administrators, and students on that as well. So that's, that's one avenue, and that's fairly robust. Um, and then virtually every high school site is actually taking that data and trying to figure out like, what are we doing with that data. Um, I would also argue that there's like other areas, like peer resources, for example, that works to gather youth voice, things like that. There's student leadership uh, groups. Just tomorrow, for example, there will be the Youth Summit, which will include, I think, 350 students will be there. And this will be one of the topics that I believe will, will come out. I know that in the LCAP, which is sort of our goals, goals and guardrails that we've been talking about, one of the major focuses there is around youth voice. So that's going to become uh, more and more central as well. Uh, and then just finally, on my end, when we talk about our violence interrupters, uh, again, those are community members. That we're not, they're not law enforcement. I, I just want to be really clear about that. But they are meeting with students in classrooms and actually getting their feedback and their voice as well. And that's happening uh, weekly. Thank you, Mr. Guthers. And thank you, Commissioner, for your question. I, I wanted to speak on... Um, the work that we are designing and planning ahead around the public service announcement that you heard um, earlier. So SFUSD, we are co-sponsoring alongside uh, our partners at DCYF, a multimedia, youth-focused, youth-led um, public service announcement campaign. And really the goal is to uplift the resiliency and supports that are available within the city um, so that we're able to really blanket the city and also multimedia airwaves as much as we are able to um, on these messages around, you know, building trusted relationships with um, an adult or among your peers. Um, what we know as practitioners is that, you know, um, there, is, there is just a lot more um, gravity and I think, you know, 
um, weight with voices if we are able to center them on youth leadership, right? And really thinking about designing it um, with a robust engagement process that includes youth and youth engagement and participation. So we would invite you to be a part of this process. Um, but also additionally, you know, I think really wanting to recruit um, youth amplifiers, influencers, and ambassadors to be able to kind of counteract right, the messages that might be harmful and really thinking about what are the messages that we need to be able to get out in social media and who are the messengers. Um, I don't think I'm cool enough to necessarily be an influencer, but you all could be. So we definitely want to invite you to be, be a part of this is, if that's something. And I think really activating right um, and harness the positive potential um, around being able to deliver messages if we're able to find the right messengers. So we believe that um, youth, like youth agency and youth resiliency is very much core to that. Thank you, Supervisor Melgar. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Chair Ronan. I just wanted to uh, address a couple of the things that were said during public comment and also uh, ask the Department of Public Health to chime in uh, because I think they have a, a bunch of really great programs. But, um, you know, I just wanted to start out by uh, making clear that none of the plan that was presented uh, by the superintendent involved having police at the school sites. That was not, that is not part of it. Um, and I just wanted to make that clear. Um, I also wanted to address, uh, you know, that when the issues happened at Stonestown, it was a couple of weeks of escalating violence at the mall, which is not a public site. It's actually a private site that we all go to, uh, but it is private property. And so, you know, I, um, some uh, people got hurt, physically hurt. There was uh, a stabbing at, uh, you know, on the bus uh, involving students from a middle school, uh, and someone got stabbed. Someone could have died. And so for that, you know, I do think it is appropriate in the community to uh, call on law enforcement. That's what we have now. Someday we may have a system where that is not necessary, but today, um, you know, we are at a point where an 11-year-old, you know, uh, was involved in this kind of violence. And so, you know, in under California Penal Code, 11-year-olds uh, can't go to juvie. But we're seeing folks who are younger and younger who don't have conflict resolution skills and instead are, you know, uh, resorting to violence. And so that's why we're here today. Uh, I just wanted to make clear that, you know, the, there, none of this involves putting officers in public schools. That's never been part of the conversation. But in thinking through how to keep people safe, um, you know, we, we have involved uh, the expertise of, you know, law enforcement uh, and also uh, of our juvenile justice uh, director who, um, you know, has a lot of experience uh, in um, how to do prevention and alternative, uh, you know, things so that youth could be kept safe. So I wanted to say that, but then also I wanted to ask uh, Dr. Farah to come up because one of the most important programs, I think, uh, in our schools has been a partnership that has been redirected to be completely focused on schools um, in the last uh, few years, and that's our Strengthening Families program, um, which, uh, you know, I want you to talk about because one of the conversations that we had during this all-hands-on-deck meeting 
was about middle schools and about how, you know, after the pandemic, a lot of uh, youth in our middle schools are, are hurting and, you know, lacking conflict resolution skills, you know, turning to substances and all that. So welcome. Thank you, everyone. Um, thank you, supervisors and uh, youth commissioners. Um, for inviting me here uh, for this important hearing and for all the youth we heard speaking about violence being a public health issue. It's a really important topic today. My name is Dr. Farnaz Farmand. I'm the Children, Youth, Family System of Care uh, Director at the San Francisco Department of Public Health Behavioral Health Services. And just in a couple sentences, and then I'll speak to Strengthening Families program, um, our services oversee a continuum of care from prevention, early intervention, to outpatient treatment and intensive services, to um, crisis response for kids and acute psychiatric crisis, as well as services in long-term placements like residential uh, settings. Um, we really focus on... Um, youth 0 to 18 up to 21, um, and predominantly youth um, on public insurance, Medi-Cal, and uninsured. Um, we've got a lot of robust um, services within the school district along a continuum of care, and the Strengthening Families program is definitely one of our really successful prevention programs um, offered to youth. So. Um, the Strengthening Families Program, um, for those that um, have not heard about it, it's a family skills training program designed to increase resilience and reduce risk factors for behavioral, emotional, academic, and social problems in children's 3 to 16. Um, the Strengthening Families Program involves three components. Um, they work, they're life skills courses that work with the parents, the children, and then the family overall. And they're 14-week um, sessions. Um, uh, offer and it's a 14-week course um, in two-hour sessions and so this has been wildly successful in terms of positive feedback and, and outcomes in terms of supporting families and it's predominantly set within our substance use disorder prevention services portfolio and in addition to other prevention programs and intervention programs we're definitely looking to see under CALIM which is an initiative to reform the Medi-Cal system, insurance system for families, how we can expand, um, leverage federal funding. We're exploring ways to leverage that federal funding under new CALIM requirements so we can sort of maximize that um, to sort of spread this model more. Well, thank you. I just wanted to give um, a, a last opportunity to any of the youth commissioners. If there's any ideas you think we should be exploring that we're not, or um, anything you want to share with us about your experience that we should we should be taking into account, we'd love to hear from you, um, Commissioner Edding. Thank you, and I would just like to thank. Um, Supervisor Melgar for calling this hearing and to the departments and supervisors for recognizing the importance of this. I think something that's important with school safety is to communicate to the whole school community what the goal of new efforts to improve safety are. I think it's important to make it a let's all come together and address school violence as opposed to a we are going to punish everyone for this. I think like an example is for social media, I think it could be helpful, um, like mentioned before, to have school safety ambassadors on social media who can promote school safety and make it a community-wide goal 
as opposed to I don't know that students would react very positively to we're all going to start monitoring your social media. And I think that does need to happen, but it's also important to say maybe you can join this effort with us. And that can be a thing that we do together because I think all students want to be safe. We all want to feel safe when we're walking in and out of school. And we also don't want to have to worry about safety all the time. And so I think just making that a community-wide goal is important. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Loftus. It's on? Okay. Um, uh, thank you. Yeah, like um, Commissioner Utting said, kids are just really smart. I might not be the best person to speak on this since until last year I only had Pinterest and I was alive before Facebook. Um, but for younger kids, like, I know people who have five different Instagram accounts. You have the one that your parents follow, that it's photos of prom, and then you have the one your friends follow. And if there's any kind of monitoring system, you'd get the, um, the stuff that, like the, the TikToks that go viral that a ton of people are seeing. You might get the really public stuff, but it's just, kids are smart. They're gonna do it on social media anyway, and private accounts, accounts not under their name kind of stuff you can't monitor and might deter relationships with with the people that would be doing the monitoring. So also, like what Commissioner Utting said, any kind of like a, like social media accounts that are meant to facilitate discussions about safety and maybe students self-reporting anything that happens, but a just broad trying to monitor social media, I don't see how, how that would how that would work. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Barker Plummer. Um, I, I would just second everything that Commissioners Utting and Loftus said. Um, you know, I, I do I do some volunteer work with gun violence prevention, advocacy, and organizing. Um, and I think something I've learned through that is how many things there are that are really sort of small actions that can be taken that can really help reduce violence. And there are often things that, that don't need to be seen, right? We, we heard a lot of people who say we don't want police in our schools. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I don't think that that's, I think that adding police to schools makes it an entirely different environment that is not a productive space for learning. Of course, in cases where it's unsafe, it makes sense to, to have police on campus, but I don't think that that should be the status quo by any means. Um, but there really are actions that can be taken that I'm, I really encourage you all to continue this conversation with the Youth Commission on, including safety infrastructure like lock sets, public announcement systems, um, and just fostering a, a sense of safety and community. So I would also just note on, the, on May 15th, the Youth Commission will be holding a hearing on um, school safety infrastructure and policies and procedures, specifically to look even more into these issues that we're all looking into. Um, and I would just say to all three of you and all members of the board, like, please, let's work together on this. Let's work with SFUSD um, and our city to really create the safest schools we can and the best and most joyous schools we can. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Hump. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Um, I would say, again, second the rest of what my commissioner said before. Um, I believe that the focus should be on reporting rather than monitoring um, frankly, because the internet is simply too vast um, to monitor. Each one of us on social media has our own connections. We have our own friend groups, we have our own uh, cliques, and, and holding each other accountable is more important than being monitored. I would like to argue, um, because if we're, it's very easy to block someone who's monitoring us, or 
as Commissioner Loftus said, make a new separate account so that's more public. And so definitely I think the focus should be more of prevention through, um, um, through reporting rather than monitoring. Thank you, and Commissioner Pimentel. I just wanna echo what every youth commissioner said today, but also that I'm grateful for the opportunity to participate in this hearing and just to collaborate with Supervisor Melgar and Safai and the Youth Commission to find solutions that will improve the lives of our youth and make our community safer. I just also wanna emphasize how important it is to bring community and youth voices in when talk, whenever we're discussing about school safety and youth violence. So I look forward to continuing this like conversation with you all. Thank you. And on that note, because this is the last meeting of the Youth, Young Adults and Families Committee, I think we should probably file this hearing but we can continue this discussion in many other forums and, and the work here, um, if that makes sense. So before I make that motion, I wanted to give it to... I'll just say, oh, I'm sorry. Supervisor Sefe. Thank you, I just wanted to say something briefly and then hand it to Supervisor Melgar to close, but I actually think that it was really, really, really helpful to have both of these items heard together today uh, to hear from community and folks that are out there working, the different departments, all the great effort that's happening. I will say that, you know, one thing I've heard, heard over and over again today was giving opportunities for a community to be empowered and be in positions of employment and be there to work on the front lines uh, with this type of work in school settings, in partnership. And, and truthfully, that's exactly what the proposition has created. It's created an opportunity to really build on, bring people in, bring community in, empower those voices, lift them up, and ensure that youth are being listened to and put in positions that can work to make our schools safer and healthier and more productive and community partners. So I just want to say I really appreciate all the commissioners here. Wish we served with some of you on the board uh, versus some of our colleagues. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. Um, and uh, thank you for all your, and thanks for all the community folks that came out and all the departments um, and for your input. I think there's a lot of great work and it sounds like DCYF, Unified School District and School Board and Youth Commissioners and others have really spent the time to think about how to coordinate this effort so that we can be better prepared. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Melker. Yeah, just to close it up, uh, Chair Ronan, thank you so much for allowing us to do this during the last uh, committee meeting. I want to say thank you profusely to the SFUSD, um, to the MTA, uh, the um, Department of Public Health, to the Human Rights Commission, um, and to uh, the uh, Police Department, uh, Juvenile Probation, the Public Defender's Office uh, that has amazing programs uh, that are supporting kids in the schools, uh, our district attorney, um, and the mayor's office again for all of the work and pulling all of this together. Um, and to uh, Katie Miller, who's still here <laughs> uh, with the juvenile probation department, juvenile justice department. So thank you so much, uh, everyone, um, for being here. Um, the recreation and park department, I think that's, oh, in HSA. Because, you know, we have a lot of folks who are, um, you know, foster youth and, and folks who are uh, 
involved in the system who need our extra support and they've been part of the planning of this wraparound uh, set of services. Um, I want to say that, you know, we are, we created this in, in response to a couple of weeks of violence, but but I think that this should have been there in the first place. You know, I think our youth need our support. Um, and there's a lot of things that we learned from you, um, like the monitoring's not going to work, you old people. <laughs> um, let's come up with something else, and I think that we can come up with something uh, together because I think it's it's important that, um, uh, like uh, Commissioner Udick said, we need um, to communicate. We need to uh, make sure that people understand uh, what is going on, and uh, we need to incorporate youth voice. Um, we need to make sure that it's working for you. Uh, and so uh, thank you so much, uh, and thank you for uh, you know coming to this hearing and for continuing to build the system that our youth need to uh, make sure that everybody's safe. Thank you, Chair Ronan, for filing this. Thank you, and I'll, uh, if we can have a roll call vote on that motion. A motion has been offered by the chair that this hearing now be filed on the motion. Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. Madam Chair, there is no opposition. That motion passes unanimously. And colleagues, if you'll indulge me for just a couple more minutes, um, I just wanted to close today's meeting with a few remarks uh, about my request to dissolve this committee. Um, the Youth, Young Adults, and Families Committee was formed also at my request by the Board of Supervisors in March of 2021 when the well-being of San Francisco students were in critical need of our attention due to the impacts of the pandemic and school closures. And the Joint Select Committee was creating more problems than it was solving them. While the concerns of students and families are still acute, and we've talked about that today, it has been challenging to make the committee useful when SFUSD and uh, CCSF have separately elected governing bodies. Moreover, there are many crises in both institutions, and understaffing is a big one. And the asking the administration to do duplicate hearings isn't helping our students and the institutions be more productive. The dissolution of this committee, though, is by no means a signal that we are deprioritizing the needs of San Francisco students. To the contrary, youth and families, including student achievement and overall mental health and well-being, are still at the very top of my priority list. Um, and I know that's true for Supervisor Malgar and Supervisor Safai as well. I will be introducing hearings and legislation relating to these topics often over the coming years, and we will seek to hear these items at other standing board committees. I have a commitment to stay engaged in these issues and will ensure that the Board of Supervisors continues to address the needs of youth families through future legislation as needed. Thank you, colleagues, for your equal commitment to these issues and for continuing to partner to support San Francisco students. Thank you, SFUSD, for all of your partnership and collaboration, the Board of Education, DCYF, oh my goodness, we love DCYF, uh, DPH, and youth-oriented CBOs that we work with in partnership all the time for your leadership and collaboration in placing students at the center of our sites. Of course, our incredible Youth Commission, um, we need to do this more often. It was really, really, really useful, I think, uh, more so than our regular committees. So really appreciate all of you and your time. Um, and the clerk's office, thank you uh, for 
allowing us to create this new committee and when it when it kind of outlasted its 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 real effectiveness for helping us shut it down your your partnership is always so appreciated and your generosity and time so thank you so much um, and I look forward to uh, the tons of work we have ahead of us but really really exciting and hopeful hopeful work uh, so thank you so much and mr. clerk are there any other items on our agenda Thank you, Madam Chair. There is no further business, but there is one thing I should acknowledge, one small bit of clerking arcana because we have this joint meeting. The agenda items were not agendized as action items for the youth committee, so we're a youth commission, so we're not missing anything by not taking the actions on that side. We can adjourn the meeting. Wonderful. Well, with that, mm. the, the meeting is adjourned. <laughs>